Nick Helm and Nathaniel Metcalf's fan club on Fubar Radio. <laughs> Um, and we're back, baby. We're back. Happy New Year. Happy 20, New Year. 2020. 2020. 2020. You're listening live at midday. Uh, good morning. Yes. Uh, it's, it's 2020. Can you believe it? Can you believe it? We've reached 2020. Can you believe it? What films took place it, in 2020? Oh, can you believe that we've rebuilt society since <laughs> uh, Escape from New York in 1997? <laughs> since the destruction of society. Where we all lived, we didn't all, only the criminals lived in <laughs> a walled off uh, city. Ah, so why not start the years of video by talking about John Carpenter, fresh out the gate? It's 2020, so let's talk about a film that was set 23 years before that. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you, you cunts! Oh, it's John Carpenter. You're listening to Fan Club. Um, my name is Nick <laughs> My name is Nathaniel Metcalf. Uh, and you're listening to Fan, Fan Club. Club. Uh, first rule of fan club is tell, tell your, your friends. friends about fan club. Come on, don't be a prick all year. Uh, why so, keep it to yourself? Why keep it to yourself? 2020, that's the why year, isn't it? Yourself? Also, the other thing you've got to do your resolution. Is 2020, New Year's resolution. Listen to fan club every week, Mum. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, yeah, so make sure you listen to fan club. Uh, if you're listening to it now, you're halfway there. And by halfway there, I mean one minute in <laughs> to a two-hour fucking slog. Uh, but if you're listening to it as a podcast, then there's no music. So uh, you haven't even got that to look forward to. <laughs> uh, oh, oh, I think... Um, I think The Thing is his favourite, <laughs> his best film. <laughs> um, I think it's probably right. I think The Thing probably is his best film. Second rule of fan club. Most overpraised, I think. Um, well, he defined a genre with Halloween, but <laughs> I can't believe we've started. <laughs> uh, I mean... It's funny just because there was no intention of doing that. <laughs> well, we were, talking about, we were talking about soft drinks before yeah, we, we went were. on there. And that was a good one. We could have carried on we doing carried that. We could have carried on talking about that. Um, but second rule of fan club is believe for the love of God, tell your friends. Yeah. Hey guys. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were gonna press a button. It looked like you're gonna press a I was gonna have got a new eye uh, Nick's bought some throwback mountain so dew. So I bought some throwback mountain dew and I will bloody throw it back, throw it back right to the back of my throat. <laughs> <laughs> fucking delicious. I um, do love a man. They make it with real sugar and uh, only 170 calories. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> um, so, <laughs> fucking hell. Yahoo, Mountain Dew, throwback. Real sugar, real good. Uh, so, this is basically Mountain Dew with real sugar, and it's kind of like the way that they used to make Mountain Dew back in the olden days. Back, way back. Um, so, I think like in the 90s. Uh, Mountain Dew's an American drink that never really took off in. No, England. they tried to launch it, didn't they? And it, it sort of lasted a while and then went away. Again. It was it was like a regular soft drink. It was just sort of like it was there with your with your Coca Cola and your Dr Pepper. I, I remember we had a, we had a a can machine, a vending machine, in um, our school. Which I think they got rid of because um, <laughs> Jamie no, Oliver or no, something. None of us had any teeth, <laughs> um, but. Um, uh, so, so we used to have, and I think that they we had Dr Pepper for a little while. Yeah. I remember because if you collected the ring pulls from Dr Pepper, mm-hmm. you could send them off and get a badge uh, for the Saint, <laughs> the, the Val Kilmer, the Val Saint. Kilmer movie. That's worth it. Mm. Imagine how much that's worth now. Um, I think I did get one, but 
And that can't have been the only thing. It was like a pin. It wasn't I think only. things used to be like that, though. You'd do things for tiny rewards. You're like 25 ring pulls <laughs> for, for a fucking, for a pin. Uh, yeah, all right. Uh, but, um, and I, I don't think I've, I don't think I've watched the whole of that film. No, I've never seen it. I've always wanted to see it as I've well. started watching it. it. Do you know what? It was. It looked very moody. And I think, um, was it before we did Batman or it was after Batman? I think it was after Batman. I think it was one of the ones he was making while he was um, the biggest actor on the planet for six months. I mean, he was the biggest actor on the planet. It was, yeah, for six months. When he did, um, what's it, Ghost in the Darkness with Michael Douglas, mm. he'd literally just filmed Batman and he turned up and it was just like, this, is the, this, this guy's Batman. He's the most famous man in the world. Yeah. Um, and then he made The Ghost in the Darkness. <laughs> have we talked about The Ghost in the Darkness before? I think we may have. I remember us having a conversation about it. What, what's the thing of it? that They both wouldn't... They both rewrote it, right? Mm. Michael Douglas did a draft, and I think he did a draft or something, and it's now... Michael Douglas was the producer. And, um, oh, he didn't want to be in it? And he right? wasn't in it. And William Goldman wrote it. He wrote Butch Kestin, Sundance Kid, and uh, the great Waldo Pepper. <laughs> Not that anyone's ever seen that. <laughs> uh, and who, what else did he? What else did he do? He did the Sting, the Princess Bride, isn't that William Goldman? Princess Goldman? Bride. Did, William Goldman did the Sting, didn't he? Uh, I don't know. Actually. If he did Butch Cassidy, it'd be weird. You'd think, he'd yeah, they would think they'd get someone else in. Um, anyway, so so William Goldman, yeah, but maybe more people would know him from the Princess Bride. Um, and um, so he wrote this. Uh, I think it's an adaptation, or, or maybe he just. Maybe it was just... It's, no, it's based on a historic event where all these lions were killing off some people. But they were doing it like serial killers. They were like these really starving lions. Because they don't... Lions don't act like that. They eat when they need... You know, yeah. They kill when they need to. And these lions were kind of like stockpiling all of these bodies. And they killed two lions. One of them was called the ghost and the other one was called the darkness. Oh. And, um, uh, and what they would do is they would just pick off like... I think they were building a, a train line through Africa... And basically, all of these lines came along, and they killed hundreds and hundreds of, uh, of people, people working on the on the rail on the railroad. So they hired in some expert hunters. I think Val Kilmer has something to do with the railroad, and he's got to do it. And they hire in this expert hunter who is played by Michael, Michael Douglas. Douglas, and he's sort of like the Quint character, where he turns up halfway through. Uh, and he's really mysterious, but he's kind of like gravelly. And so that's what the that's what the that's that's how it was written. Um, and sounds like a good film. And it's and it's really not. <laughs> it, it's and I think it just it, I, even when it was advertised at the cinema, it looked cheap. But the thing about yeah, it, I never it, saw it. It was like a Val Kilmer vehicle, and then Michael Douglas plays kind of like this kind of um, elder statesman who's like this expert hunter. And the way it was written was that he kind of like swoops in, does a bit, and then he gets killed off. And um, they were trying to look for... Michael Douglas was attached as the producer, so he was going to make it, but he wasn't going to be in it. And so they, so they were looking for a, a male lead. I can't remember who the list of all the people was going to... So you're probably thinking of your Sean Connerys and yeah, those people like that. It would have been people Hopkins. like that. But people, but people um, were coming in, they wanted to change all the script, and basically they were saying, everyone wanted to kind of like put in a backstory for the Michael Douglas character and kind of like make him more sympathetic and all this stuff. 
And Michael Douglas was the producer, and he was kind of like, going, no, absolutely not. We can't, we're not going to change it. The script is perfect the way it is. We're not going to change a single thing about it. The character's perfect. It, this is what it is, you know. It, as soon as you start fucking around with that character, the, the script falls apart. So he really understood, like, the ins and, ins and mm. outs of the whole script and the intricacies, and it's kind of like, there's the Val Kilmer part, and then the role of this part is he's kind of like this mysterious gunslinger that sort of drifts in and out, and you're not meant to know about him. So, like, yeah, brilliant. And then eventually they couldn't get, a, they couldn't find an actor to do the part. No, you know, people were turning it down, people wanted to change the script and all this other stuff. And so they ended up going, look, Michael, will you do it? And he was just like, oh, fine, okay, I'll do it. So Michael Douglas agreed to do it. Yeah. At which point he stopped being a producer and he became an actor. And he gave him a backstory and he said, right, <laughs> I want a backstory and I want my character to be really sympathetic and I want to tell a story about how my wife and kids got murdered and uh, now I'm out here and I'm... Uh, and then he completely demystified the character and he bumped, he bumped his like, role up by another like 25% and sort of their co-leads and... Um, yeah, and he completely destroyed the film, and it was amazing because he because he knew what he he knew he knew the part, and he knew exactly what to do it, and he refused to do it for other actors uh, when he was the producer. And then when he turned, he stepped over the thing, he put his acting hat on, and then he fucking destroyed it. But um, I don't think that it's really when you watch it, you don't think that's the worst part of it. It's just a very uninteresting film. Yeah. I think you know, um, it's like Jaws on land. But it's like Jaws in the desert, you know. But, um, but oh, God. I get tingles in my legs whenever I think about Jaws. I always think about, like, you know, like when you're a kid and it's kind of like, uh, the carpet's lava. Yes, yeah, you yeah. Know? And you, you uh, jump on, the arms jump on cushions the chairs and, and chairs and stuff. It's like, it's like... It's like the, the floor is the ocean. And yeah. I can just imagine a shark. I, there was a couple of kids me. at school who couldn't do swimming because of Jaws. Like, they wouldn't, wouldn't go swimming in, in like, would like bunk off or just, like, say, oh, yeah, I can't do swimming because of Jaws. Because of Jaws. I, I don't. In, like, little kind of tiny swimming pools. I don't blame them. Like, when I was in Portugal, when we were on holiday once in Portugal, we were in a swimming pool late at night because it's dark. And then you just imagine that you can't see the bottom. <laughs> you just imagine that Jaws is going to come. He's not called Jaws, is he? You know, in the Jaws, you used uh, to call him George at school. <laughs> like when we were really little, we couldn't say, we couldn't pronounce George. Jaws, so you'd say George two was on last night, or yeah. George three was on last night. We because um, at school the rumor was always that Jaws, there's Jaws from the first Jaws, and in Jaws two, it's Jaws's wife. <laughs> and in George 3, it's Jaws' son. And, uh, and it, was, it went on like that, and that was the idea of it. And I then, always thought that Jaws was a spin-off from Moonraker. You know, like, <laughs> from, like, I was sort of like, I couldn't work out why Jaws and Jaws were, like, yeah. different franchises. Yeah. No, I think that's true. I think that is confusing. Um, later on, though, apparently if you read, like, the novelizations of the books of Jaws, I think they are like that, that it is, like... Jaws 2 starts with, like, um, it is, like, Jaws's wife or Jaws's mate. Well, there used things. to be all sorts of bollocks, wasn't there, where it was sort of like, oh, well, if you watch the end of Jaws, you can actually see a little baby swimming out <laughs> of, the, of the exploding next shark. To the, next to the flying teeth. Yeah, like, but, but, like, if you watch the end of Jaws... When the, when the when the shark explodes, you know, and the and the and the shark is sinking, you can actually see a little baby swim out of it, and that is the shark from Jaws two. <laughs> uh, and you, 
and you rewatch it, and sure enough, it's not there. Um, <laughs> but that final shot of Jaws is the same shot as the final shot from Jewel. So when the mean? truck goes off the side of the mountain, yeah, it goes off at an angle like that. Oh right, okay. And yeah. then when Jaws, the shark is sinking, it can it sinks at the same angle as the truck oh. sinks, and they use the same spe- same sound effect. So oh, there's this sort of like twisted metal sort of sound effect in Jaws that they use, and it's the same that they used in the film Duel, which was Steven Spielberg's TV movie, wasn't it? Mm. He made like a couple of years. That was his first movie, but it was a TV movie. And TV his first movie. cinematic movie was Sugarland Express. Speaking of sugar, this Mountain Dew is very tasty. <laughs> uh, we've gone back, we've gone back, we've, we've gone via... What were we talking about we, we, We're talking about Mountain Dew, uh, no, Dr Pepper... The Saint, so Val we, Kilmer. So we had Mountain Dew in... Um, the little um, Canada. In the Canada, but it never took off in England, and now it got re- relaunched as an energy drink, which is fine, I but it's like quite it viscous. Yes, it's, I don't, I'm not it's, into it. It's thick, and it's also... Um, it's got kind of like almost like a chalky quality to it. It's kind of like... Um, and not the Jim Davidson character. <laughs> it's got I find the energy drink a bit racist. When you drink it, you go, well, you know, I, I, like, I like Mountain Dew, but this one's a little bit racist. I'm sorry to start 2020 off uh, by talking about uh, Jim Davidson's character, Chalky, but uh, I, I only brought it up to absolutely distance myself from it. Um, I'm just saying that Mountain Dew, um, Mountain Dew, the energy drink tastes a little bit... Uh, chalky. <laughs> <laughs> Again, as I say, not the Jim Davis character. Um, you know, because that's from the shop across the road. Yeah, but right. So hang on, let me just let me just finish, right? <laughs> <laughs> so this shop across the road under new management. Yes, that's what I was going to say. Right. Yeah. Uh, so they're fully stocked. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. But this is so they sell like American drinks and candy bars. They sell Twinkies. So they're doing it like they're trying to be a bit like, hey, we've got a little section here, and we're doing the American candy. No, it's all spread over the entire shop. Oh wow! So it is like an American so style the drink sweet shop at the now. back. No, not really. Okay. It's kind of like there's just bits here and there, which is kind of like like they just had like Twinkies at the front. And yeah. Okay. And they had like uh, pop tarts oh. at the front. Um, Have they still got the um, candy cigarettes? No, I don't think so. I, w- I didn't really mm. look for them. But um, uh, anyway, so, so this Mountain Dew throwback is basically, it's a throwback drink to the good old days when they used pure sugar <laughs> in drinks. And uh, uh, only 170 calories. Drinking why, it now, can you, are you going, oh, that's sugary. It, I mean, Mountain Dew is always sweet. Mm. That's one of the appeals. But now that... But, now you know, th- but like, uh, just, just to say, guys... Uh, don't uh, I know I'm very cool, but uh, just because I'm drinking Mountain Dew uh, doesn't mean that you should all rush out and start drinking Mountain Dew every day. I drink Mountain Dew moderation once a, once a, once every six months. Mm. This is this is my you know just starting the year off that. What's well, the only thing I buy from those um, American candy stores? Because I do like Mountain Dew a lot, and I will pay three pounds oh, or whatever to get a can of uh, yeah. It's good. It's my, um, it's my kryptonite. It's, it's better than fucking Car- Caribbean crush. Is it? Yeah, that's, uh... Did you make any New Year's resolutions, speaking of uh, rotting your teeth with 170 calories <laughs> of sugar? <laughs> no, I didn't. I didn't. I, and if anything, I've still got like a backlog of chocolate and things from Christmas. I sort of overbought. Do you know what I did yesterday? What did you do? Day before yesterday. What did you do the day before I, yesterday? I um, ate 
ate my advent calendar. <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't opened any of the any of the windows. That's depressing. Well, I'd opened like seven of the windows, and so I just did. I opened all the other windows Pretend in order. Christmas again. In order, of course, because I think. But in a way, is that more I or s- less mad than doing it? I stacked it? them all up, and then I just ate them <laughs> three at, three at a time. <laughs> Uh, Fucking delicious it was. Marks and Spencer's. It was your adult that. life is like Macaulay Culkin in Home Alone. Uh, I'm, like, I'm like Tom Hanks in Big. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't want to grow up, and I don't see why I should. No, and you can't fucking make me. Sure. So there you go. So I feel about that. It reminds me, I've got to frame more pictures of. Uh, the Wolfman. <laughs> I, I've got one picture of uh, myself, and uh, you know, you know, like people have pictures of their family and stuff. Yeah. Not me. <laughs> I've got one picture of me of, of my actual life, and it's like a, a, a picture of me and Elliot the, uh, from Uncle. Uh, but I didn't have anywhere else to put it. But I like that he's not your actual family. <laughs> it's, my, it's, my, it's my screen family. They gave it me in a frame <laughs> when we finished. It's a, it's a really nice... So I'm sure it's a nice picture. It's a nice picture. I didn't know where to put it, but um, uh, there was like a nail in the wall in my uh, in my toilet. <laughs> I, was, uh, I, was, I was sat on my toilet this morning. I looked up and I just saw a picture of uh, me chatting to Elliot on the set of Uncle. And I thought, that is weird that I have it in the toilet. <laughs> but it was the only way there was a hook. And it's the only picture of my real life. And everything else is uh, like pictures of, of... What did I get yesterday? I got a picture of Lon Chaney Jr. as the Wolfman yeah. yesterday. And I got a picture of Lon Chaney Sr. as um, the... Uh, what's the one where he's... Um, it's a lost film. Oh, the London London by Night, is London, it called? London by Night, yeah. It's the one where he's got kind is of like called? sharp jagged yeah. teeth. It's like... And his eyes are sort of like... Uh, uh, I don't know how he did it. But like because he, he yes. used to do his own makeup, Lon Chaney used to do his own makeup. He was the man Natalie, of a thousand you, faces. Can, is it called London by Night? London, London after, after midnight. midnight. Yeah, right. London after midnight. Um, yeah, it's an incredible looking thing, though, isn't it? And you just get these stills exist of this makeup that looks incredible, where he's got genuinely like super <laughs> sharp teeth and just so looks like a monster. Who's the guy that directed Dracula? It was Tom. Tom Todd Browning. Todd Browning. So Todd Browning directed uh, London after midnight which is this film that... Um, so it's really interesting, right? Because Lon Chaney is, uh, is still fairly well-known to this day, mm. uh, despite the fact that a lot of his films got kind of, like, destroyed. Mm. So this is interesting. He's it's like a legend, isn't he? He's almost like... Because of Lon Chaney Jr. as well, probably. I get, yeah, right. I mean, it's fucking creepy. Mm. But he used to do all his own makeup. He used to do... Uh, so he did um, the silent... So he was a silent movie actor. He started out as kind of like a stage clown. And uh, he had deaf uh, parents. So um, his when his dad was at work, um, uh, he used to sort of like do pantomime stuff. He used to tell his mum stories, but he used to act them out. And so when he, he was like a... So when he became like a silent movie actor, it kind of like he used all of his skills that he had when he was growing up with his family to kind of like... You know, tell stories without using any words, and um, he used to do all of his own makeup stuff. So he was the Phantom of the Opera and the Silent stuff. Uh, he was Hunchback of Notre Dame, um, and then he did loads of other stuff. And Todd Browning made the original London After Midnight, 
and the uh, and the, there's no copy of it. Mm. Basically, there's kind of like they've managed to piece together things, but uh, but back in the day, it was like theatre, and so what would happen is they'd show a film, and then when the film had finished, because it was made, um, what's the nitrate? Is it? Or yeah. The so because the the celluloid, the yeah, what's the stuff that they they uh, uh, transport in Sorcerer? Oh yeah, yeah. Um, Not dynamite. Uh, Nitroglycerine. Yes. Yeah. So, so basically, all of the f- all of the film stock was um, was like highly flammable, and if you ke- if you kept like huge like warehouses full of films, and they th- they would explode. You know, mm. they'd absolutely or they'd they'd burn like thousands and thousands of degrees, and everything would be destroyed. So what they used to do is they used to just sort of like uh, once that people had stopped finished watching the film, they'd just destroy the films. And then everyone would move on. And so London After Midnight is one of these films where there's loads of photos of it, but nobody knows what the film mm. is. So Todd Browning remade it a few years later, and it was called, like, The Vampire or something like that. And uh, so he remade London After Midnight, and, um, and it's not very good. Right. And so, uh, so what they say is one of the things that actually is in London After Midnight's favour is the fact that it doesn't, it doesn't exist. exist. Yeah, exactly. Because so no one can like see it, so it's this legend. And the thing about Lon Chaney was, because uh, he did all of his own makeup and he did all that stuff, um, uh, when the famous Monsters magazine started getting published in the 50s or 60s or yeah, 70s, so. um, they used to just use pictures of Lon Chaney all the time. And so modern audiences would get to know Lon Chaney through his um, characters and through his... Um, what do you call him? Makeups. Uh, through his makeups and and, uh, and and through like stills of his films, and so Lon Chaney is is iconic because he's literally just an icon. He doesn't exist as yeah. Like, uh, people haven't seen his films, mm. you know, or more people are aware of him through stills of his uh, of his makeup than they are of his films. Um, and then Lon Chaney Jr. played the Wolfman in the Universal horror movies, and um, Lon Chaney Jr. was not called Lon Chaney. Um, but he changed his name. So he did the opposite of what Emilio Estevez did. Yeah. So <laughs> he makes a makes a big deal of being. He uh, goes, uh, I'm, "I'm you like my dad? Yeah, I'm like my dad Junior. Um, <laughs> not the film, uh, Lon Chaney. That would be ridiculous. It wasn't. But also, I think that helps, doesn't it? Because Lon Chaney Junior himself becomes a like a horror icon. And yeah, but he it was, pays into the legend. Of but Lon then Chaney. he wasn't. Lon Chaney Junior was. Uh, he's he started off as the Wolfman. Later on, he played Frankenstein's monster. At another point, he played the Mummy. I think um, he basically. I don't think he played a Dracula. I don't think he played no. a vampire. But he basically played. So Bela Lugosi, he played. Now he played Dracula. Obviously, he's mm-hmm. the Dracula. But then he also played uh, Igor. Yeah. And then he played um, Frankenstein's monster. Yes. So how did that go? It was, uh, it was Boris Karloff did Frankenstein, Bride of Frankenstein. Son of Frankenstein. Son of Frankenstein. And then Lon Chaney Jr. did Ghost of Frankenstein. Yes. And then... Um, Glenn Strange. Did one or two, I think. No, but then, uh, and then, so Ghost of Frankenstein was uh, Lon Chaney G. Yes. No, was oh, it? Oh, is it? Is it House of Frankenstein where Bela Lugosi is? Uh, so, so actually, so hang on. So is Igor in um, 
Son of Frankenstein. No, but I think he's in... Is he in Ghost of Frankenstein? No, is it no, Igor? I, I think Igor's in Son of Frankenstein. And, um, uh, and then what happens in Son of Frankenstein is that... Um, uh, what happens in Son of Frankenstein is that Igor transplants his brain into the body of the monster, and then by which point Boris Karloff didn't want to do it anymore. So... Uh, in the next one, they said, well, it makes sense for Bela Lugosi to play... Maybe that is it. I think that's yeah. what they did. And then in the fifth one, I think that that might be Lon Chaney. Yeah, and it's quite a funny one because you've got Bela Lugosi in the Frankenstein makeup, so it is quite an odd... Uh, it's weird because it looks like Bela yeah. Lugosi as well. Uh, but like, definitely uh, Lon Chaney Jr. played the Frankenstein. I think at Lennon. that time, people were kind of Look into films. Which one sort, did Lon, sort of Lon Chaney Jr., which Frankenstein film did he do? Um... But not so much. So in people's heads, when they'd see it, they'd go, "Ah, oh, it's New Frankenstein with who's? Yeah, it's Bela Lugosi. He's always been Frankenstein." And I think it's been. Like, I think that's the sort of the public's view of it was always a bit like there was those like horror stars that were slightly interchangeable. I think. Well, Bela Lugosi was really unlucky because basically they said that his character was blind. So, so right. So you see, Young Frankenstein. I've seen Young Frankenstein, and they go, "It's so close to the original movie, isn't it?" And uh, I watch it, and I go, it's not that close. But what it is close to is the original franchise. Mm. So there's that character in Young Frankenstein that's got, like, a mechanical arm. He's sort of like a Nazi character yes. that's got a mechanical arm, and he's always twisting his arm around. And basically, that's a character from uh, uh, Son of Frankenstein. And so it's kind of... Uh, so it's kind of like this kind of, uh, what do you call it? <laughs> Fucking I'm homage. Uh, homage. But it looks great as well, doesn't All it? of those. Yeah. What, Young Frankenstein? Yeah. Well, didn't they use the same sets? Oh, did they? That <laughs> makes sense. It does make sense until you think, wouldn't they have destroyed the sets in the 40 years in between? <laughs> That's, I, uh, I like that it does the uh, House of Frankenstein has a thing of like, it's all of them together. Frankenstein's monster, Wolfman, Dracula, Hunchback, who is just like a various Igor or... Uh, what's he called in the Hammer ones? Cloves uh, and and Mad Doctor, and it's like sort of they're all the archetypes more than their actual characters. Yeah, but the other thing is like John Carradine plays Dracula, but um, that's not the Dracula that you would recognise. And yeah. then you have got Bella Lugosi that's playing. He's he's in it playing a mad scientist, but he's not playing Frankenstein. And so is Boris Karloff playing Frankenstein? They wouldn't have got no. Boris Karloff is playing the Mad Doctor. So Boris Karloff is back in a Frankenstein film, but he's the Mad Doctor. Yes. And then Lon Chaney Jr. is playing the Wolfman, so he's not playing Frankenstein anymore. It's sort of like you've got all of like the kind of the same And that's same it, but guys. they can say, starring Boris Karloff, Lon Chaney. It's just like, it's got the guys in it, so but they're not even playing the guys you think they're playing. So when you see that classic picture of Christopher Lee, Peter Cushing, Boris Karloff, and... Uh, mm-hmm. It wasn't Boris Karloff. Who's the third guy? Uh, Vincent Price. Uh, Vincent Price. So you see Christopher Lee... Uh, Peter Cushing, Vincent Price, and John Carradine. Yeah. And you go, well, and then in lots of ones they Photoshop John Carradine and John out. John Carradine out. But he's, but he did make, he did make it. So basically, for Christmas, Nat bought me um, the Frankenstein Legacy box set, mm-hmm. which has got like five or six uh, Frankenstein movies from the nineteen thirties. And I, I think I'm right in saying that the big difference between me and you, Nat, is that I'm a Universal Monster fan, and you are a Hammer fan. Yeah, but I love There's the crossover. Universal. Absolutely sure. crossover. Absolute crossover. I mean, I can watch a Hammer film, <laughs> but you're all about Hammer, really, aren't you? Yeah, I like and, Hammer. And I'm, I, I really love Universal. But I think, I think a lot of the... I think the good Universal Monsters films are better than pretty much any of the Hammers, if I'm, if I'm being honest. I think the... the good I think the B, when they go into the B-movie Universal Monsters, I'd say 
Hammer movies are almost universally better than them. In a way, um, in, Hammer movies are better than Universal films. When they get into their sort the of sequels and their, yeah. Um, sure, I agree, maybe. Um, <laughs> what I would say is that I think the Hammer films have dated worse than They sort the of Universal have, yeah, films. they kind of have. They kind of have. Um, and I find like with Hammer, it's a bit like, I find them difficult to recommend to people because you've almost got to already like them or something. You've got to like. Bit, I think there's a little bit of homework involved. Maybe. Um, where I think there's some really good Hammer films that you could watch. You've got to sift to them. If you started off with Rasputin, the Mad Monk, you'd be like, you wouldn't ever go anywhere near him again. But uh, the Nanny is a really good film, but it's not really a Hammer. It's a Hammer film, but it doesn't really feel like a Hammer film. I'd say Captain Kronos, <laughs> Vampire Hunter, is is one that anyone could watch and just get a lot out of it. I think things like because uh, a lot of them sort of seem quite a lot of the early ones do seem quite slow but they're often the best ones as well because mm. they're quite slow burners Plague of Zombies is very good uh, and I think anyone could watch that Brides of Dracula is very good I think so there's lots of like really proper good ones I think anyone just watching them would be yeah. like that's a good that's a good movie. And I, th- I think that's what you want because I also there's a part of it where you get okay Dracula was very I didn't see the BBC Dracula over Christmas uh, because my TV, uh, if Sky, anyone from Sky is listening, please come around and fix my fucking Sky box. <laughs> I couldn't even watch myself on your fucking channel because my Sky box broke. Yeah, do you get free Sky because you're get, on Sky? I think I get free Sky, but I also think that I get billed. So <laughs> I think, uh, I, I remember that they gave me free, they get, what was it I've got, is it Sky Q? They got me, the, the Sky Man came over and he gave me free Sky. And it's kind of like, you go, you only meet the Sky Man twice in your career. Once on the way up, and you don't want to see him again. <laughs> because the first time he's giving you free Sky, and the second time he's taking your Sky away. But like, um, I haven't, um, I, you know, you get all the sport and everything, but I don't watch it. You said your first cunt of the year within one minute of the show. Impressive. Oh, thanks for that, Ellie. Um, Was that from you? No, oh, yeah. Uh, so, um, uh, 2020. What, so, so anyway, so you got me a. What was I just? It was saying? Frankenstein Legacy. So it's yeah, all the Universal. So you got me the Frankenstein Legacy. So I've basically had on my Amazon wish list for about fucking three years. I've had the Legacy Collection, which is a big box set with all of the all of the things. Uh, every it's got thirty Universal horror movies in, which I think is it's not all of them. It, um, I'll explain in a minute, right? But um, it's not—it's not quite all of them. Um, but they had this box set with with all of the films, right? Um, but I didn't ever want to spend 150 quid on a box set. Oh, I, I didn't ever feel like I will spend that money on dinner. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like yeah, it's I, a I, I have I have I I will waste 150 quid, but so. I won't. Uh, but when it's in one purchase, you just like, oh, I don't That's know if I can. Oh, it's a lot, isn't it? But I have wasted that money, I imagine. Um, and um, and so uh, you got me that, and it gave me the kick in the arse it was that I went, right, I'll just buy them as individual. So I just asked everyone for Christmas. I didn't know what to ask for for Christmas. So I just said, can you just get me uh, like all the other box sets? And so I got everything except for Wolfman. And... Uh, uh, and I, w- I watched uh, watched a documentary about the Wolfman, and it sounded like the man was calling him Wolfman. <laughs> so you know, the Wolfman, the Wolfman, and, and uh, now I'm writing a character 
old wolfman. They're called wolfman, <laughs> half man, half dog. <laughs> He's the wolfman. <laughs> and um, but um, so so I was, I was like brilliant, and uh, I got everything except for wolfman, right? But then uh, and I've bought wolfman now for like it was like a fifteen quid, yeah, right? So so I got it, right? I've got wolfman. And I've got like, all the Wolfman films, and I've got all the Mummy films, and I've got all of the Creature from the Black Lagoon films, and I've got all the Dracula films, and I've got all the Invisible Man films, and I've got uh, all of the Frankenstein films, and it's brilliant. And then I watched, um, I, I, and I, I went on to look at the box set, and uh, they, if you buy the box set, you get the fucking Phantom of the Opera, but oh, that doesn't, no. they don't sell it individually. So if you get the box set as an incentive, you get a single disc Phantom of the Opera because the only uh, Stein Claude Rains, it was the colour one that came out um, in the fifties. Um, was it fifties? I think it is. It's later it's than the others. It's, it it's, it's got to be in its colour and it's got Claude Rains in it. But I imagine Claude Rains would have been very old by then. I mean, he was in The Invisible yeah. Man, which was nineteen thirty-one. It could be uh, Invisible Man is thirty-three. Thirty-three. Um, so. So Claude Rains, um, who's great? Oh, brilliant! So, brilliant! Uh, well, yeah, go so, on. We'll go on to it. So then, so, so so they don't sell the Phantom of the Opera in the same packaging individually. So you've got to buy the box set to get that. And they also have uh, a, a booklet that comes with it. I need another book about it. Don't need another book about Universal Monsters. <laughs> I've got a lot of books about Universal Monsters. But Probably what I do want book. is that I'm a fucking completist. And I, I, I'm fucking furious that I can't get in the same packaging the Claude Rains Phantom of the Opera. But the other thing is that the original Lon Chaney Phantom of the Opera was also a universal film. So why don't you add that in the fucking box set? Why don't you do a fucking legacy collection of the Phantom of the Opera where you get Lon Chaney as the Phantom of the Opera and you get fucking Claude Rains as the fucking Phantom of the Opera? Why you're don't you do wrong, it like that? I'm not wrong, wrong, am I? I'm no, not wrong. I Nat. think you're very reasonable. Nat agrees with me. I'm being very fucking reasonable. <laughs> Release that. But, so I'm very annoyed because. I'm and you could do that for probably about. A tenner because so, you'd only have two films in it. I've only so you could do it for fucking seven ninety nine, mate. Yeah, yeah, same package. One of them please. hasn't even got any sound on it, mate. So, fucking, <laughs> you could do it for fucking seven ninety nine. Same packaging, please. Phantom of the Opera Legacy Collection. So, weirdly, I'm gonna play a song in a minute, but weirdly, <laughs> um, uh, I was watching all of the Invisible Man sequels this week, and you watched the Invisible Man, and I've watched the first sequel because I got. That I got the invisible. The last two I had to get were Creature from Black Lagoon and Invisible Man of the Universal boxes. Right, yeah. So I've watched, yeah, Invisible Man. Invisible Man is brilliant. I think Invisible Man. Brilliant. I think that there are more iconic films. Yeah. But the look, and you were right. What you wrote, uh, like the look of the Invisible Man uh, with the bandages and the sunglasses, yeah. is so iconic, yeah. right? So, but um, I think that maybe the original Claude Rains Invisible Man is the best out of all of the universal uh, it's, films. It's so, it, I think it might well be. I, I think, think it's absolutely It's at brilliant. least as good as... Uh, uh, actually, I really love Wolfman. And I, I do really love Wolfman. I have uh, Frankenstein. I love... Frank, I, Bride of Frankenstein. Frankenstein and Bride of Frankenstein. And Wolfman. Uh, Dracula is way low down the yeah, list. It's, it's so good. dry. It's not really dry. Good. Apparently the Spanish version is a lot better that you get. Um, yeah. It comes with all of... Every single time you buy... Bella Lugosi's Dracula. They filmed, <laughs> they filmed Dracula in the daytime with Bella Lugosi, and then at night, a Spanish, Spanish version a Spanish with real version, vampires. A Spanish crew came in, and they used the same sets, and they filmed an identical film uh, with, different, with different actors, Spanish actors. Um, 
Uh, but because they were Spanish, there's a little bit more uh, uh, joy de vivre <laughs> <laughs> in the film. It's kind of like got a slightly better pacing or there's more energy to it or something. There's something different about... Maybe it's the fact that they were filming it at night. And, uh, they the some, Dracula on is very stagey film. Because it was, it was... Ben Lugosi played him on stage and then he got the, he got the film. Anyway, you could talk about this for fucking uh, years we have. and years and years. But like... Um, <laughs> But uh, yeah, but the original Invisible Man, I think, is maybe the best. It's funny. It's got an amazing performance, central performance in it. Um, it's really dark. It's yeah. It's just, but it's funny. It's really funny, and it is. But it is. It's, it's that he's like murdering people left, right, and centre, mm. and he's laughing. And, and he's singing, "Here we go, gathering yeah. nuts in May." <laughs> and it's just the, the the voice, which is virtually all it is, as a performance. He's sort of incredible. A whole day's work ruined by a foolish, ignorant woman. <laughs> it's funny. He's just yeah, and he's he's just going around murdering people just almost to cause chaos and to make himself feared yeah. and just be like. And it is that thing where he's just like, oh, and the whole point of it is that it's the the thing that's turned him invisible is actually the thing making him, him ma- mad. It's making him, him go mad. Yeah, it's it's great. The fucking um, the yeah the. Costume for that is is like that's what's that's what's amazing about the Universal films is that the um, every single uh, image that you have in your head um, was put there by Emperor Palpatine. <laughs> every single image that you got in your head is there from the Universal yeah. movies. Like Dracula looks like Dracula now. Even on the BBC one that, that just came out, it's basically Bela Lugosi. Mm. Uh, Frankenstein's monster. Yeah, you know, green with a square head. That's Boris Karloff. You know, it's kind of like all of all of those looks are from are from that. And if they're not from that, it's because they have deliberately because they're all copyrighted images. Mm. They've if if they don't look like that, and for me, like oh yeah, what's the point in trying to make another Frankenstein movie? Really, um, if they're not that, it's because they've deliberately tried to veer away from the universal look. And it's kind of yeah, that's 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 how it was. But so so Invisible Man. What's the next one called? Uh, Invisible called, Man Returns. Invisible Man Returns, which I saw for the first time this week when uh, Vincent Price takes over as a main role. That is, I think, that's almost as good as the original. I didn't like it as much. I, but I think you watched it really, back to back, yeah. Didn't you? And I have, I didn't, I didn't start with the Invisible Man. I kind of. I think it's really neat. I think it's quite a nice way of continuing the story. It's quite that works quite well. And I, but I think the idea of it when you go, oh god, I'd never seen it before, and you go, God, it's Vincent Price, perfect. But when you watch it, it's like a sort of, it's like a young Vincent Price where the voice isn't even quite Vincent Price yet. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I thought I think the special effects are just out. Uh, oh, they're out, out this world. One on thing both about of them. one thing about the Invisible Man franchise, I've got almost all the way through them now. Uh, is that the Invisible Man? In, in every film, they they basically do a new special effect. Yeah. So they do the same special effects in every film, but in every single one, they add a new one. So in Visible Man Returns, um, he goes in the rain. Yes. And in um, uh, The Invisible Woman, she puts on silk stockings. Uh, and um, such a sexist film. The Invis- I haven't seen that one yet. Oh, it's, it's, it's not. It's like it's a screwball comedy. And there's a guy in it that's playing the butler that's sort of like falling off ladders and stuff like that. It's kind of like, it's such a... But then it doesn't say H.G. Wells on the on the poster, right? So it's kind of like... I don't really feel like it's part of that franchise. Because in the next one, 
which is called the Invi- I mean I watched them all Invisible in like, Agent is it the Invisible Agent is the next one yes yes it is because then it's the Invisible Man Strikes Again or something um, what's the fu- what's the f- what's the fifth one called <laughs> I'm halfway through it it's fucking dry uh, the Invisible Woman is like it's like 72 minutes long and it's fucking boring I had to watch it in two goes right um the Invisible Man's, Man's Revenge. Revenge. And that one's that one's not so great either. But um, the effects are incredible. When you think about it, you think, God, this is the third. Look at it. It's like, and like I don't know how they've done it. A lot of the time, it's like, I don't know how you're doing that. Uh, but also, the, the stockings are fucking incredible. In one of the shots, uh, in one of the shots in one of the films, um, he takes his glasses off, and I think in the first one, you basically. Uh, you see the the wall behind him. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes it's kind of like uh, you see like a floating jacket, but you don't see like the neckline yeah. in it. Um, but then he takes off um, in the sequels. He takes off his sunglasses, and you can see and, the back of his and head. You can see the back of that, the, know, that's what of the bandages around yeah. the back of his head, and it's just fu- you go. That go. is fucking wicked. I think I know how they. I did think that. they they've built sort of half a mar- like half a shape of a no, plastic think, head I think the not? way it moves I think what they've done is they've basically um, that you've got they've filmed the front and then they've superimposed the back of the bandages uh, yeah, behind yeah, yeah, it yeah, using yeah, sort yeah, of yeah. like blue screen or like early blue screen but, yeah so I think that that's how they, but it's yeah, it's fucking but, but that's the incredible. thing I mean what now when you watch a film it's just like computers mm. computers computers how yeah this is like better watching it going I don't really know you've done that but when you're watching it you know it's a practical effect or you know it's a thing and you're kind of like going it was made in the 30s and you're there going I can you're not even saying oh it's good for the time it's like you're going I don't really know how you've done that, that you can kind of like make a guess but yeah. you're not really that sure and um, I, and it, those I mean they're special effects do you mm. know what I mean it's kind of like I think that yeah they're really yeah, the first Invisible Man film is great. The second Invisible Man film, I really did enjoy. Yeah, it's very watchable. Um, and like, I really think, watchable. It, and it still is. I think they're still beautiful films to look at. Mm. You know, um, and the bit when he opens up a suitcase and he starts hanging stuff up mm. on, on like tree branches and stuff, it's fucking great. And um, and the end when they're on the uh, the quarry, mm. it just reminded me of the end of Con Air. You know, <laughs> and it's kind of like oh, and he's wow. much more sympathetic in the second one. Where in the first one, he is just like this guy's a lunatic, but you sort of love it because he's such a he's a great, bad man. He's a great character. <laughs> he's really great. Um, yeah, I love him. Uh, I love him. Anyway, um, it's weird that you watch them and mm. I watch them in the same week. We do sync up like that, don't we? we? Do, we um, do. Right, I'm going to play a song. Uh, this is in memory of uh, is it David Bowie's birthday? It was on Wednesday. It, but it's four years since he died today. Oh, is it? So in honour of that, I'm going to play Heroes, uh, as sung by Johnny Depp. Hello, we're back in the studio. What a beautiful uh, tribute. That's a beautiful tribute from the Hollywood vampires, uh... <laughs> Uh, uh, so it was Alice Cooper on there, in case uh, you're wondering. Alice Cooper was probably playing Maracas in the background there. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's a real good tribute because, you know, Hollywood Vampires, obviously, the fir- that was off the second album, Rise. The first album was obviously a tribute to all of their uh, dead friends uh, in the rock industry. But, of course, David Barry wasn't dead then, so uh, he died oh. in the interim. And then 
they've got much more material for their second album. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. so you know, when God opens the door, he shuts the window, I suppose. <laughs> so uh, the first album they do covers of what, like John Lennon songs, is it? Or people that used to be in it, there? Yeah, John Lennon and uh, the, well, I mean, The Doors and uh, whoever else, the, um, Keith Moon, stuff like that. But fucking hell, it's... The, the, they're worth seeing live because it's just mental. It's yeah, like watching. I think, I think I'd quite it's enjoy. It's like watching it. Johnny Depp doing karaoke at the O2 Arena, right? <laughs> but it's um, and and it's and it's rammed, and everyone is there, and you've never seen it so busy. Well, what percentage are there people just going Johnny Depp's here? Yeah, but that's why they do it, isn't it? Johnny Depp gets to hide from uh, the paparazzi. Yeah, and from all of his allegations, and he also gets to gets to be like a rock star, so he gets to play out his yeah. little. Uh, and Alice Cooper gets to have um, a packed audience, you know, yeah, yeah, uh, and, and and also not have to do his stage show. He doesn't do it as the Alice Cooper character. He just does it on, you know, he's, you know, he doesn't have to like, cut his head off and stuff like that. And then um, uh, Joe Perry doesn't have to work with Stephen Tyler. Mm. But I guess the idea and they're all on stage just looking absolutely delighted. <laughs> no, sure, I think that's probably quite nice. And they probably all get on, don't they? And they're doing they, it because it's fun. They're only doing it because they get on. Yeah. You know? It's like so Ocean's Eleven. They're all absolutely delighted with each other. Anyway, we should do some fan mail. Um, is that what we normally use for fan mail? Yeah. Do we? No, we don't. Or we do the. Um, yeah. But we don't this use that, do a uh, long Chinese character from London after midnight inspired the look of the Babadook. Oh. But that's not fan mail, is it? No. Hi, Nick, and specifically Nick. I'm oh. more than happy for you to have your opinion on The Last Jedi, however wrong it is. Oh, I know. Um, it's a terrible film. <laughs> uh, as uh, The Rise of Skywalker proves... Uh, it's such a bad film that it is impossible to make a follow-up film to without at least just trying to undo some of the absolute bullshit. I mean, what do you think of... in? Uh, okay, one-word review for Rise of Skywalker. Three, two, one, it's so, fine. Yeah, it's fine. And uh, I, I actually find the Rise of Skywalker a sort of almost a sadder film than uh, Last Jedi. Well, it's over now. There's no hope. Yeah, it should be called A No Hope. The No... The, the, <laughs> And no hope. It, they, like, you know, at least, I think it's a totally fine film. But at I, least with The Last Jedi, you thought, well, they could probably save the franchise with what, an extra film. And then when you watch The Rise of Skywalker, it's just like, oh, well, that's it then. They killed them all. I'd like. They um, killed Han Solo, Luke Skywalker, and Princess Leia. They killed every. They killed all of them. Oh. And the other thing is, uh, you know, the whole franchise. Uh, you know, they bring Emperor Palpatine back. Oh, no, hang on. This is a spoiler, right? No, it's in the trailer. Is it? No, but no, the spoiler about... Oh, yeah, is that, that probably is a spoiler. But this is a spoiler. Are we allowed to talk about spoilers? Oh, where's my spoiler button? Spoiler! You know, adults, if you're listening to this and you haven't seen Rise of Skywalker yet, um, you probably need to uh, just get your life in perspective. Like I have. It's taken me two years. I think, I, think I, I need to take a break. For, I just need to... I, I'll probably watch them all again in the future. I and maybe I'll enjoy it. I, I, th- I think I'll, I love the original trilogy. and that from, I love the original trilogy. 
this trilogy is pointless. Hmm. And it's kind of like you just like go, yes, yeah, suppose, but it's, it's, I can take or leave it. It's like fan fiction where you just like go, that's a nice, that, that's your opinion, isn't it? And like I think the, the ending was sort of like, oh, it's fine. Oh, it's, 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 this is okay, I suppose. And then there's lots wrong with it. And then you go, actually, do you know what? I'm not, this bother, not bothered about any of these three films. <laughs> yeah, I'm not bothered. But and what, that's how you sort of come, come away from it. But I would like, never, oh, I don't really. I would never recommend to switch your brain off to watch any film do you know what I mean and I would always say that as a, but the only way you can enjoy The Rise of Skywalker is if you literally switch your brain off and then you just watch it from beginning to end and you go yeah you just take it as its own thing and you just like go yeah and you know first time I watched it I was sort of like sort of horrified but it was like ripping off a band-aid you know a band-aid uh, it's like you, you just had to get it over with and so that you can just watch it a second time and just enjoy it mm. or try or, 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 or watch it for what it was. So I, I, on the one hand, it is, um, you know, it's mental. It's all over the place. The pacing is fucked. Uh, they shouldn't bring back Emperor Palpatine. Uh, there's so much wrong with it. Uh, but on the other side of it, um, I just enjoyed it for what it was, you know. I don't consider it a suitable ending for the franchise, but I don't consider these suitable sequels for the franchise. It was all based around the fact that Harrison Ford didn't want to do them, so they killed him off. And Mark Hamill did want to do it, but Ryan Johnson didn't want to do the thing that everyone was expecting. And that, you know what I mean? It's all based on kind of... And then every, all the half the fan base hated The Last Jedi, so they tried to please everyone by, you know... I think that's it. It feels like they've tried to please everyone. deeply And so no one really likes... So it's like... It's unsatisfying for everyone. Deeply, deeply compromised. Um, I think. I think my opinions on Star Wars films are a bit like they're entirely based on nostalgia from what the ones I watched as a kid, and I can't tell how much I like. Like what what ones are actually good as good films? Because I think it's so tied up now with things I like. Like I like little things and. Yeah, but that for, for you then that's good, isn't it? Mm. It doesn't matter. Yeah, sort of like you go right. That's, well, how, that doesn't you, matter. that's how you. That's how. No, but that's how you base. Or, or, you know what you like isn't it yeah. so you know I like Return of the Jedi I like Empire Strikes Back and I like Star Wars and whether I like them because of nostalgia or whether I like them because they're excellent films it doesn't matter I like them you know hmm. um, whereas I don't have any nostalgia for the prequels I would say though that there's bits in the prequels that are better than anything that happened in the last three Yoda fighting uh, Count Dooku <laughs> is one of the best things in any of the Star Wars films, uh, including the first three. I think that I it's got that. odd bits that are great, and yet, like the second one and the third one are sort of just not very like. It, and the Phantom Menace now is one that sort of holds together better than the other two. You go, well, that's better. Sort of makes more sense. It feels solid in a way that the second ones feel like they're reliant on CGI that doesn't quite work. Yeah. And they're, it was they're more obviously practical, not on sets. Wasn't it? Yeah, they're obviously not on. The Phantom Menace was a bit more practical. It feels like they're walking on like um, one of those House of um, uh, House of Fun places where the treadmill treadmill things in the second and third ones often. Travelators. Like, yeah, you're going like they're sort of walking, not on the ground. Yeah, and it's like they're sort of moonwalking <laughs> their way through it. Um, yeah, um, but I just don't care really. I, th- you know, I like, you know. Yeah, that's how I, I think it makes me feel like. Oh, it's, I, mean, I did care. I've wasted my life. I did care. <laughs> I cared a lot. Uh, but, you, I mean, regardless of anything, you know, I think if they'd have come up with a plan 
and then they've planned out three films. Oh, yeah. And if they'd have just sat down and planned out three films and gone, this is the first one, this is the second one, this is the third one. And then if people weren't enjoying them, they just stuck to it. And, and they stuck to it, <laughs> and they'd have gone, no, but this is the story. Yeah. It'll pay off. Uh, then I would have respected that, <laughs> you know. You know, because people didn't like elements of um, the prequels, yeah. right? But he didn't change the story. I he like just, the, he just, he just put less Jar Jar Binks. The in. worst criticism that I've read of the a Rise of Skywalker is people going, well, "I can't believe it's like Ryan Johnson said this happened, and then J.J. Abrams has come along and said, "No, that hasn't happened." And you go, "What do you think happened in the second one? <laughs> what do you? Th- why do you think everybody hated the Last Jedi? <laughs> it's like that's the." That's exactly what happened. That's exactly in, what Ryan Johnson so people did. So doing it like, oh, it's like bad improv, isn't it? Where it's like, yes, and, and he's gone, no, it's not. I mean, it's like, that's what The Last Jedi is, surely. That's exactly that. So someone's come along and gone, no, that's not it. And then the person did the first one's come back in and gone, yes, it is. And that's Because that's all The Last Jedi is. The Force Awakens is all kind of like, well, who could Ray's parents be? And, oh, um, uh, what's Luke Skywalker doing on this planet? And, oh, ooh, you know. And uh, the, who's, you know, who's Emperor Snoke? And all this stuff. And uh, there's loads of questions that they raise in The Force Awakens that J.J. Abrams doesn't have to deal with. Mm. And Ryan Johnson just spends the entire film going, no. Luke, uh, Luke's on the. Luke's depressed. Uh, Empress Snoke isn't anything. Ray's parents aren't anyone. Uh, but, say- but but he's not actually inventing anything for a sequel to deal with. Mm. He's just kind of like just closing everything down. And then when it gets to the rise of Skywalker, it's like J.J. Abrams is just like, what the fuck have you done? I've got nothing to work with. So he's had to. I didn't even think it was that offensive. I thought, in actual fact, he um, he was actually dealing with the fact that. Um, I didn't feel like he just basically came along and undid anything. Yeah. He basically went, uh, okay, right, well, st- in the Star Wars films, there is a historic... Uh, there's like there's a history of characters lying to each other in films, and it's inconsistent, like Obi-Wan saying that Darth Vader killed his dad. And then him going, Luke going, you, t- you said Darth Vader killed my dad? And he goes, well, he did, from a certain point of view. You know, so there's a certain point of view thing where they go, right, well, these characters say one thing in one film and then we can just undo it in the next film. So he kind of, like, did that. But also, he is acknowledging the fact that Ryan... He's not just ignoring it. He's going, well, Ryan Johnson has said this. But... Well, I mean, I think now- but, like, but, but none of this would be an issue if they'd just planned three films. Yes, and and also, I think that everyone... Uh, I think the people that love The Last Jedi are saying it's so different from all the other Star Wars films. And it's kind of like, if that's what you like about it, then you don't like Star Wars, surely. Because <laughs> everyone that likes Star Wars just wanted another Star Wars film. Well, you're think- saying it's so different from all the other Star Wars films. It's like, great, yeah, but there's other ways of making it different. And also, it's not even the storyline that I've got a problem with. I don't even mind that they kill off Luke Skywalker. I don't even mind about any of that stuff. It's the fucking tone. It's all We talked about this just before Christmas, didn't we? We've done this before. Well, but, but I would say that there is something to be said about... You go, well, you go, well I guess there is something to be said about The Last, Skywalker, um, uh, Last Jedi being... Uh, you know, trying to be something different, but then it's like, but then it makes this whole trilogy completely inconsistent. So it's very, it's it's basically an incredibly unsatisfying series of films. And However, you talk about it a lot. 
And worse, you're absolutely rare, rare guess into agreeing with you. Yeah, I fucking do, because I'm right and you're wrong, you fucking prick. Uh, and your points on the subject. And Nat now just seems to keep quiet and let you run your course. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I mean, he's fucking been absolutely fucking railroaded today. I mean, you have to fucking shut him up. Now, so I'm wondering if you could get a guest who loves The Last Jedi. No, we just wouldn't book him. Uh, and just have and just have at it. But they need to be a big Star Wars fan. No one that likes The Last Jedi is a big Star Wars fan. I'm saying it. Knowledgeable about film and is ideally as outspoken and opinionated on the matter. We'll argue back, not just agree with you when surprised by your force of personality. My force of personality. I think you're reading a lot into the fact that we've got to come up with two hours of fresh content every fucking week. And I basically, and Nat will agree, I basically have to do this single-handedly. Um, <laughs> it's been no, very no, one-sided. I, I and sort of do you're agree. in the minority. I think what this is is it's um, this is an email from a Last Jedi fan <laughs> who's really upset about it. Can we get? I've got an idea. Then let's get. Because I'm the true have... Star Wars fan. You said couldn't exist. I love the Last Jedi and think it's quite easily the third best film. Just stop listening to the show, man. Wonder what the first two are. <laughs> For proof of my devotion, please see the attached picture of a wall in my dad's house where I've drawn all four main rebel fighter types. Favourite, the B-Wing. Oh, dogfighting, the three main tie types. Uh, have we got the pictures? I'm up for some... Um, no, I, I thought I saw the name of our guest at the bottom and I thought it was the person that had written the, <laughs> written the email. Uh, there you go. Uh, love the show. Oh, is this, uh, this is the same guy. Uh, so Favourite interceptor. Who doesn't love a tie interceptor? It's fucking incredible. Uh, and if that doesn't give you my credentials, I'll even admit this embarrassing fact. As a teenager, I'd read every single Star Wars expanded universe novel there was. Literally every single one. Uh, do you remember the song that C-3PO sings in the uh, Han Solo book? Uh, C-3PO sings Han Solo answers on a postcard. <laughs> he doesn't say that. He doesn't sing answers on a postcard. He sings Han Solo. What a man Solo. I mean, that's good. Love the show, Greg. P.S. Luke's arc makes character and narrative sense. It doesn't. Uh, and The Last Jedi was exactly what modern Star Wars needed. It wasn't. What they should have done is just finished off the Skywalker <laughs> legacy and then done anything they wanted with it. Just give him a spin-off. Just give I Ryan Johnson a mad. spin-off. I think it's mad now when you see it that you go, given how big Star Wars was, and Star Wars is much bigger than J.J. Abrams is, why you didn't just say to him, Right, so you're going to make all three of these films, right? And he goes, nah, just come do the first one. They go, sure, fine. Why would you just go, well, the you can't whole, do the it The whole then. thing is crazy. You can't do it then. The whole thing is crazy. And Let's um, have one script by the same person, by, and, and that will just be all our films. I think even if you love The Last Jedi, uh, which obviously means that you love shit comedy, um, so even if you love The Last Jedi... Uh, You've got to still be able to admit that by the end of the film, it doesn't leave anywhere to go for a sequel. What the fuck are you meant to do with it? Um, let's, let's have... Can we and, get and Ryan Johnson in? And what you, end up, book him. what you end up having to do is do what they did with The Rise of Scott. Do you know what the problem is with all of the films is that they rushed them. They did. They shouldn't have done them two years apart. Really silly. They were writing. They were writing. Ryan Johnson wrote that Jedi before he saw the Force Awakens, and uh, fucking J.J. Uh, Abrams saw the Last Jedi, and he had to write the Rise mm. of Skywalker as a reaction to how the fans responded to it, and he had sort of like what th- three maybe, months to write it. Maybe he wrote it before he saw Star Wars. 
Maybe sort it after him. I mean, it's all crazy. But um, I appreciate your email, and I appreciate that you're a Star Wars fan. Um, uh, And sure, by all means, uh, vent vent your opinion on your podcast. Uh, Hello, Nick and Nat. Love the show, but I always disagree with Nat's thoughts on better or worse. What? What? Oh, my God. What is it it about the new year? We're being absolutely obliterated. Trolled. I've been uh, I've been told that I'm opinionated and outspoken. Uh, fucking hell! What are you meant to do on the radio? <laughs> Not speak. Inspoken. What? Just my inner yes. thoughts. Fucking yes. hell! You don't want to hear them. You don't want to do what? <laughs> Just put my head against the fucking microphone. Fucking drink it in, guys. Um, and now what? Someone's writing in and saying that that's wrong about better rights. I'd love to know how you determine your answers. It's my own opinion. It's his own opinion. That's how I say it every week. This is, you know, <laughs> I don't have to cater for Last Jedi <laughs> fans, and you don't have to cater for anyone else. It's a silly game. That's sort of the premise: is that it's a silly game. It's Star entirely Wars. Based you're on... absolutely right. Yes. <laughs> Fucking hell. Don't take it. I mean, fuck. It. Hi guys. Such a good game, though. Even though you don't agree with anything, and I'd like to hear Nick play it one day i do sort of jo- i join in every week and um, I'm, I'm, i don't know what i've scored maybe i get a nine maybe i've had a nine in the past i don't think i've ever had a ten hi guys happy new year what can expect from 2020 fan club okay more john comes, more john comes, comes no, already, delivered. <laughs> already delivered on that i expect and hopefully some christopher biggins chat wow i reckon for the next year we will talk about biggins have, at some point have, you got any, have we talked about biggins before no but i've got a lot to say Never. Maybe for next week. Maybe, maybe we'll do. A, well, maybe we'll do a Christopher. Biggins. Can we get him in? We'll do a Christopher Biggins retrospective. What was that? He's come in, is he? So you've got. Oh, Natalie's got Christopher Biggins' phone number, so we'll see if he's up for coming in. We'll see if he likes the Last Jedi. <laughs> hey, he's probably in it. <laughs> uh, isn't he in June? No, he's in Rocky Horror Picture Show. Yeah, that makes that's, sense. That's what it is. It's like the musical June. Um, hey, I missed you two. Welcome home. What did you think of Ricky Gervais at the awards the other day? Didn't see it. Um, yeah, they're just jokes, aren't they? It was funny, but they were jokes. You Didn't know, but everyone, everyone, everyone's like going, "Oh my god, he really showed Hollywood a thing or two. It's the fifth year he's done it, and he is, a, and his his whole stage persona or his whole act is that he is. Um, rude and outspoken and uh, he's like the opposite of what an awards host should be and, and it's the fifth year he's done it and every year he's trying to outdo the last year and he came out and he did a load of everyone's sort of like looking at it as an isolated incident like oh my god he just came out and he he, he rips Hollywood a new asshole and it's kind of like he does that every year what what else is what else were you expecting him to do and they were just jokes he wrote a load of jokes uh, you know, people are like he's, he wasn't like free. It wasn't like free, free form imp- improvisation yes. off the top of his head. He wrote jokes that he thought would work, and he went out and I he did. I suppose it'd be weird if he didn't do that. If he came out and went, I'm really happy to be here and I'm really excited to yes, see all these I, uh, I th- I thought, celebrities. I thought it's a really good. Um, it was a really good. I haven't heard any of it. It, it, was, it was it was a funny, really good routine, and uh, I thought that what I didn't like so much was the actual close-ups of the crowd all sort of like laughing like jackals uh, kind of like they were all basically relieved that he wasn't picking on them it was it felt like a very kind of like um like a peer pressure room you know okay i thought i thought everyone was um shocked and no, no. tom hanks didn't look like he enjoyed it but robert de niro laughed all the way through so <laughs> you know oh the irishman that's a good one 
So, uh, what are you going to play? What music? Oh, yeah, I've, I've also picked a Bowie track. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this one, weirdly, sung by him. And I've picked one called Conversation Piece, which I think is the... There's two versions of it, but I think this is the original one. I think it's from 69. It doesn't appear on an album, but it's very good. Very good Bowie song. 69. <laughs> Hello, hello. Uh, talking to your microphone, Omar. Hi, hello. Yes, that's right. That's working, isn't it? And I'll do it again. Hola. No. I've, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> New Year, just working out what the controls are. We're joined in the studio now uh, by the founder of Tapas Revolution, Omar Alaboy. Um, how are you doing? Very, very well. Thanks how, very much. Happy New Year. Feliz Año Nuevo. Happy New Year to you two. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thank you very much. No, no. Um, your, 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 your face told a story. You don't <laughs> speak Spanish. No, I don't speak... No, I don't. Nine. I don't speak a lot. I don't speak any Spanish. A little bit of Spanish? No. No, no I don't speak any Spanish. Um, did you make any New Year's resolutions? Yes. Yes, the usual one. Which is? Uh, just uh, get on the case of everything I didn't get on the case last year. Oh, uh, yeah. So well, then, then I've made one then as well. <laughs> That's same as me. Try to lose weight, go more to the gym, do the things that I uh, I enjoy a bit more often. And uh, You are the founder of Tapas Revolution Restaurant. Yeah. So uh, do you find yourself in a position where it's even more difficult to try and lose weight because you're surrounded by food all the time, presumably? Completely. I tried veganery. Uh, and I haven't eaten a vegan meal just yet. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's all rather disappointing <laughs> at the minute. Do you know what? I think I'm doing veganuary as well. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't eat anything yesterday, so I was technically vegan. Yeah, well done. Yeah, so yay me, I'm doing all right. Um, uh, it, mm. Now, so when I, when I cook... What I find is that um, I'm cooking in the kitchen and I'm trying bits and pieces and then when I actually sit down to eat the meal with uh, my friends or my family, I'm not hungry anymore. Ooh. Do you ever get that? A bit, a bit. And, um, and uh, well, it happens, all, all the type of things as well. But, uh, but yeah, you, you can get fed up of being sh- surrounded by food. And if you, you try the food? I try the food, but then I find that I, I, I don't think that I have that much of an appetite, really. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, uh, I love food, and uh, maybe tapas is kind of like the ideal food, because I always find that if I'm ever getting a takeaway or something like that, I don't want to have... Um, so if it's like Chinese or Indian or whatever, you d- I don't want to just have chicken chow mein. Yeah. I want to have, like, uh, bits of everything. Yeah. You know? So you end up ordering loads, but eating a tiny amount of everything. Yeah. If and it's a few of you, that works out well. Mm-hmm. If I it's only alone, one, you are definitely over-ordering. And then you're... <laughs> you're but you're ordering... Uh, I don't know, because you end up eating it for, like, three days, and mm-hmm. then it's just kind of like you, you're, you're sick of it by the end. Oh, that's... Uh, but, um, you have a tapas soul by nature. A it's tapas just that soul. Yeah, but... A tapas soul. <laughs> 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 but uh, the, the problem of, of, of tapas takeaway, though, is the fact that... Because the small portions go cold very quickly. Sure, uh, yeah. So, so we don't do takeaway. We don't do deliveries or just yeah, things any, like that. Does, do any tapas restaurants do that? 
I think some do, and we did, and I found that it was it wasn't representing well our food and our yeah, brand, and we just stopped it. And the one dish that works very well is paella. You know, it comes mm. big, big plate of rice, it stays hot for a very long yeah, time, sure. and that that works out very well. But it's kind of the only one, right? Yeah. So you've got your flagship restaurant now, which is in Westfield, Stratford. Yes. And how long has that been there? Uh, four months now, or three and a half months, and uh, doing very well. It's, it's quite good looking. Have you been? I haven't been, but I'm, I live quite close to there. Fair I'll enough. come, I'll come. Yeah, please do. You'll see please me. Do. You'll have see you me. been to any of my restaurants yet? No, I haven't. Oh, right. I haven't, <laughs> but I do go to restaurants. Yeah. So it's not like Would a Would you thing welcome us if we my... turned up? Please, 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 please. Let me know as well and I'll receive you. And, uh, yes. And uh, Natalie, by the look of it, is nodding furiously. Yeah, no, no. Where the fuck? Do you actually work <laughs> in Tapas Revolution? You're not like the head chef there, are you? No, no. I'm, I'm the bitch, so actually. <laughs> um, <laughs> I do a bit of everything. <laughs> but so you're actually in there working? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I go to every single restaurant all the time and uh, we don't have an office. Right. So even though we have eight restaurants, we our office is the restaurants. We only meet once a week as a executive team in our winter restaurant. Actually, uh, that's kind of our office. And the rest of the days, we we are all on tour, just supporting. We call ourselves the support team, as a, uh, not, not not the executive. Team. So where are the locations of the other Tapas Revolutions? So we we have in West London in Westfield Shopping Centre. That was the original. It's a little bar that you can only sit at the bar in a stool. Okay. No no walls or music around us. Uh, we have the one in Stratford. We have in Blue Water, in Sheffield, in Birmingham, in uh, Windsor, in Bath, and. Uh, I'm missing one, Newcastle. There you go. That's so then, so which was, the first one was in the old Westfield and... The old Westfield. And in the latest Bush is, is in, the, in new the new Stratford, uh, Westfield of Stratford. So how did you get to that point when you opened the first Tapas Revolution then? So, well, it was, it's a random story. This was, Tapas Revolution was not a concept that I had in my head, mm -hmm. that I was looking for a site to open my first restaurant. Mm -hmm. Actually, it was Westfield Shopping Center who came to me because I had a different restaurant before. said, could you do a mini version? It was called El Pirata de Tapas. Could you do a mini version of that restaurant? Where was that? In Notting Hill. Right. And it was a bit more fine dining, very contemporary, completely mm -hmm. different than Tapas Revolution. And... Um, so I went there and looked at it, and uh, I thought, wow, that's uh, an interesting place. I've never been at Westfield before, and it's massive. But I didn't think I could make it work. Mm -hmm. And then he showed us a particular place inside, and, uh, and that's when it got me thinking. Didn't sleep in two days, just drawing and designing what I thought it could work in the space, making a menu and so on. And kind of in two days, I, I work it out went back to Westfield and told them, what do you think of this? And they thought it was amazing. And, and that, that was the starting point. Really, it was quite random. It wasn't uh, the usual restaurant okay. story. Yeah, sure. <laughs> so you've kind of come up with this thing that can be chained and multiplied just because someone approached you and you had to think, of, think your way out of a puzzle. Literally. And, uh, and, and then with time, sort of, I scale it all down and made sense to it. It was quite a chaotic tapas bar, just like the ones you find in Spain. Right, okay. 
And that's how slowly sort of evolved into what it is today. So the original one was more fine dining. So these are much more like affordable restaurants. Completely. And, which I guess is the other thing with tapas where it always feels like... pounds a head is our average. Oh, okay. Just to put that's you great. into perspective, yeah. Well, I was going to say that because even like when you go to tapas restaurant, you think I do... Again, I overorder and then I go, I've spent too much money because everything is like... Everything seems perfectly reasonable, but when you're getting these dishes at kind of, you know, six pounds each or whatever, yeah. you have like five or six and then suddenly you've gone oh and then suddenly it's a big it's a big expensive meal yeah and maybe too much as well so so, so always leave your ha- leave yourself in the hands of the waiter when you go to a tapas bar because tapas you know can be of this size a slightly larger mm-hmm. you know there's not a particular measurement so so they they are the ones who only know if you've ordered the right amount or not yeah that's good and what makes your tapas restaurant different from any other tapas restaurant uh, we are uh, very friendly in our service, and every I find that in all the other tapas restaurants that they're very rude to me when I go in. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, some people uh, uh, compare us with the Chinese. You know, that is uh, not very personable, but the reality is, you, we we always try to tap into some of those good memories that everybody ha- in this country has had in Spain. Normally, right. getting drunk, going on holiday, and having a fantastic time. <laughs> so, so, so we try a bit of that. <laughs> then then uh, it's about. All, 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 all I don't think <laughs> I want to be in a restaurant with those people. Uh, <laughs> uh, drunk English people in a Spanish restaurant. Oh, Showing, do you speak English? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I want this. Can I have <laughs> chips? <laughs> and then it's about the food. We, we, even though we have eight restaurants, we still do the the food fresh and. Uh, and probably it has brought us to where we are because we kind of uh, listen to our customers. We don't try to be uber Spanish. You know, we are Spanish in essence, but we've ad- adjusted accordingly without diluting the quality or the authenticity. Yes. And uh, that's why we are here today. And some others have crumbled as well along the way. So and where, where I like to listen. You've destroyed the competition. <laughs> no, no, no. There's no. There's very little competition in the Spanish market. It's only a few of us actually. Of course. I yeah. wish we could be like Indians or Italians, but but there is a handful of Spanish restaurants only. And where are you from originally in Spain? Madrid. Madrid. Yeah. Okay. And would you would you dream to be to open the tapas revolution there, or would it, you feel like the pressure? No, I think it w- it could work actually because. Uh, you know, it's, I don't like to say this, but with time, in the countries where food used to be fantastically good, like in Spain, you know, economic pressure and all of that has made p- food more convenient and people, you know, decrease your labor, so you need to do ready meals and so on. And the food quality is going down, and I mm-hmm. think we've been able to keep it up, and I think it's at a standard, at a level that... Uh, that it'll be very competitive in Spain. So how I'd love to try it. How long have you been a chef? All my life. All, all my life. life. Yeah, always uh, cooking. So even when you were a very small child? Yeah, I, that's how, when I sort of made my mind that I wanted to be a chef. And so did you, who taught you how to cook? Did you I, I learned uh, with my mum mm-hmm. at, at home. Uh, she was, she's a good baker, not a particularly good chef. So I quickly took over at home and just make dinner. So I used to finish a school, play football with my friends, go play, play a station and then go and make dinner. That was kind of my 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 routine. And you would cook for your mum? And, and my mum, my brother, and my father. And what were some of the things that you were cooking? 
well, you want to hear the most yeah. innovatives of them all? Uh, it was a spaghetti curry bolognese. <laughs> you know, and that's available at Tapas Revolution. <laughs> yeah, get that gazelle down there. Yeah. that's what but, I'll be ordering. Yeah, I, 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 I you know, we had a, a trip to Marrakesh with my parents when I was a kid, and I bought like forty spices bags, and mm. then I just uh, tried it with absolutely everything I could, and uh, dishes such as, such as paella, paella uh, made with lentils instead of rice. Uh, you know. Uh, all sorts of things that that as a, as a young crazy little chef uh, used to do, and some were good and others weren't. And my brother was my most fierce critic. <laughs> <laughs> he always bloody hated my food. <laughs> what, <laughs> as a kid. what does your brother do? Uh, he's a marketeer. He's uh, forty. He's six years older than me. It was my brother just the other day. Uh, 34. You're 34. No, I am actually 36 now, sorry, and my brother is, hold on a 42. second. 42. and he's turning 41. Okay. That means, no, he's 41 and turning 42, sorry, my maths. Yeah. That's good. So, so yeah, that's, so he always used to kick my ass. Oh. As, uh, as <laughs> even, even, I mean, you Even after it, you've cooked his dinner. You, you cook his dinner. <laughs> You cook his Mind you, you're making curry spaghetti. <laughs> Angr Angr he was fair, yeah. an ungrateful bastard. <laughs> to say, yeah. um, no, right. I, I thought that you were going to say, I thought you were going to be saying that. Oh, you you were making some real traditional Spanish dishes, mm -hmm. uh, but. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, it was all... all, all Curry spaghetti. Yeah, no, I used to play with it, but no. Then, then I, obviously, I, I learned from my mom the very traditional dishes, and then I, I became playful. And uh, as I grew up, I went to study a traditional Spanish cuisine, it was mm -hmm. called, the, the course. And, uh, and I was not an academic person. And from very young, I knew that I wanted to work, and that's what I went and did just to so start when you working. were a kid was that the kind of were you eating the kind of food that well i guess not uh curry spaghetti but were you <laughs> were you eating food and making food that your contemporaries were eating as well like other kids uh, or is that would that be typical or untypical for kids that young to sort of cook and no it was very untypical okay and actually i mean my generation uh don't cook much i think we've grown up in you know in spain like in england you know, uh, women uh, stop just caring for the kids and cooking at home and start working like, like men did. Mm -hmm. And as a result, they didn't cook as much and as kids didn't learn from them too. So I think there has definitely been a, a gap in there in where, where cuisine is a bit forgotten. And even Spanish cuisine, if you leave it in the hands of my own friends, my group of 20 mm -hmm. friends... I could tell you'll be nearly extinguished. <laughs> but also, um, you know, there's like the rise of takeaways and uh, fast food and all of that that's happened within this sort of generation. And do you think that that is like supply and demand? Or do you, do you know what I mean? It's just like, uh, it's like a chicken and the egg type thing, isn't it? Where do you think that because food became more convenient that it, uh, people stopped cooking as much? Or do you think people stopped cooking as much and so that there needed to be, like, more convenient food? Correct. I think, I think it has happened a lot in shopping. Mm. You know, how relevant uh, high street shopping is. I hate it. I just hate it. Mm. Also, I'm, not a big, I'm not a big uh, online shopper either. But anyway, for example, I am about to start to buy food online. 
which I've never done as a chef. I just like to go to the supermarket, even though I end up buying exactly the same things again and again <laughs> for years, weeks of my life, you know. Mm -hmm. So I, I, you know, should I save the time and just do it? And equally with every single thing that you can think of is it's about what is your priority as a person, what you want to be spending your time. And for many, cooking is just not one of I them. That's and that's, mm -hmm. I think what's happening I do think that's a nice thing though by saying you're not going to have things like delivery and things you're not going to have that and if you want it you've got to come out and go to the restaurant is quite a nice way of just saying we don't do it and we're yeah. not doing it correct and we are one of the only ones mm. to, to me I mean and two things it doesn't work and that's not my area of expertise sure. we yeah. don't do and the industry's going the other direction right so it's almost like saying people that like enjoy fine dining are saying you can have a very expensive delivery and have mm. this so you can have like yeah. really nice restaurants delivered to you but then what is the what's the experience of going to a restaurant but my experience with delivery is that it's like 50-50 you know sometimes you get something that's nice and then sometimes you go oh no it's not what I was expecting this is this is awful and if the food doesn't travel that way and it's not presented that way and it's mm. not a representation of what you make then why would you do that mm. yeah you know and, and that's what we said we, we don't do food to go you know we, we sell an experience and that's yeah. what we are good at you know mm-hmm and you worked with Gordon Ramsay, is that right? Yeah. How yeah. long ago was that? Where was that Oof, at? For a long time. It was at Mace uh, Restaurant in Grosvenor Square. Uh, and it was one Michelin style. Brand new. Just the, one? Yeah. The, no. the, the, okay. the head chef was uh, <laughs> Jason Atherton, who is a very famous British chef as okay. well. Mm -hmm. He was a protege of Gordon and then went solo and, and make wonders. You when know. was this? That was third. 14 years ago when I nearly arrived so yeah. when did you when did you come over to England? I came from Madrid to London f 14 years ago and a half so you know, when you're in Spain is, is this right that you worked at El Bulli yeah I worked for El Bulli but not at El Bulli didn't work at El Bulli yeah which so what's, it was, well, at, what's the difference what's so the difference? when you work at El Bulli you are frying a squid at 172 degrees for 57 seconds and that's all you do for six months. Oh, and, no. and that's So you have one job and you've got to nail it. And nail it, because it's the best restaurant in the world. So explain to people what El Bulli is for people that don't know. So it, 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 it was, uh, for six consecutive years, the best crown, the best restaurant in the world. And the chef was, uh, um, gosh, I forgot his name for a second, uh, Ferran Adria. And, uh, yeah, it became world famous for molecular cuisine. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the thing that now nobody of us want to eat, but he was incredibly famous. And uh, I was lucky enough to, to work with his team and open two restaurants that they opened in Madrid. So I went, there and I went there to learn and then went back and opened the restaurant. So it was a fantastic experience for me. That's incredible. But when you see the people, what they were doing, I thought, oof. That's so tough. in molecular so cuisine, <laughs> is that is that specifically because it's saying everything is so precise? Is that what that means? In, in part, yes, yeah, some very innovative techniques that right. you would normally not apply to food. It's the sort of thing that Heston Blumenthal does. Correct. Oh, I see. Okay. So he'll be it will have like uh, like mists and mm -hmm. uh, what's it, and foams and, and foams, stuff like yeah. that. And mm. and I have to say, uh, unless you are the best at it, it's all crap. Yeah. And my the best meal I've ever had in my life was at Heston Blumenthal's The Fat Duck because he was a master of it. Then I'd been in many other restaurants. I, I just wish they just didn't mess up. <laughs> so, so it's like it's an alchemy to it. Yeah. It's not about... Yeah, it's, it's, but it's, like, it's sort of like a scientific approach to food. 
um, mm-hmm. and it's and it's a lot of deconstruction to dishes as well. Isn't Correct. It? But um, so it's, it's the fat duck, the one in the countryside that's opposite the Hinds Head. You're correct in Bray. And the Hinds Head is uh, so I've been to the Hinds Head. Yes, in Bray. In me too. Yeah. And you and you order cocktails in there, and they come out like all smoking, and you know, yeah. it's like Harry Potter. Very fancy. Yeah. Bray Bray Studios is where they made the Hammer Horror movies. Is it? Yes. Oh, yeah. there you go. There you go. Yeah. That's fan club. That's fan club. So anyway. So I've been to the Hindshead. Hindshead's really nice, but I've never been to the Fat Duck. And is that connected as in that's the sort of I pub? Think, I think it's Heston's pub, isn't it? Yes, it is. I know, but he wore, it, it, it was, other than the cocktails and so on, it was a, a more uh, comfort food, but to a super high standard. Okay. Yeah, it's it's not, you don't, yeah, it's not. Sunday um, roast looks similar to your normal okay. Sunday roast. Yeah, it's, <laughs> but you basically, it's sort of like really sort of, sort of posh uh, pub food but um and you came here specifically to work oh well, hang on hang oh, on but, like, like, oh, no, talk, talk a bit more about el bully so <laughs> so um so how is el bully regarded now now it's, it's so closed it's, it's closed now yeah so ferran adria so is that why it stopped getting the best restaurant in the world because Co- it closed correct imagine the pressure that it is for somebody yes, yeah, to, yeah. to be the best at something. Yeah, year t- tell, me about tell me about it. it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had to take my foot off the brake. <laughs> off, the, off the fucking. I had to take my foot off the brake and actually get out of bed. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so I think at some point he just thought, "Why well, I've had enough," and 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 he thought, "What what can we do to continue being fantastic and so on?" And he convinced Mobistar. You know, they own O2, the mobile company yes, and so yeah. on. Right. Big big bags and convince them to make a foundation and just leave sort of the legacy in there, keep earning a lot of money and just do nothing. And uh, that, that's a better that's a, a better plan that continue working. <laughs> were, were you still making money off of not doing anything? No, just being the best for so long. Yeah, without a doubt. Yeah, yeah. So you just sort of retire and be still the best? Yeah, I'm giving oh, conferences and so on. I mean, <laughs> yeah, sure. uh, well deserved. He but he made left his oh, skin sure. on, on on that restaurant for thirty years. So yeah. it, it is you know it's really tough to be a chef when you get older. And very few make it. Some just delegate and, and keep the name or do other things. And some just retire and change career. Many, many of the chefs uh, don't, don't make it to 40 years old. But he would, just have, change, ma- he would have made enough money off of that to just retire. I, w- I wouldn't think it. so either, unfortunately. Those Michelin star restaurants normally make losses and they try to make money with other sponsorship deals, ambassadorial oh, roles. Really? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's well, the reality. Even somewhere like El Bully would have lost money. Yeah, so for example, yeah, without uh, millions, I'm not talking. Hundred thousand, I think they would have lost maybe a couple million. I mean, Ramsey should have year. gone in with his kitchen nightmares yeah. when it's like that. They <laughs> <laughs> should walk in and go, Listen, you're losing all this money. No, no, but it, it has happened to Gordon. You know, those restaurants are really hard. You know, just you pay for wages. There was more uh, staff than customers. Right, because everything so has ju- to be perfect. It, so just doesn't, it just doesn't work even if customers pay 300 euros a meal. You think, wow, it's so expensive. No, expensive is is having all those teams and th- like that fantastic like, produce. That is expensive. You see it <laughs> like a musical theatre or something and you go, and there's millions of people on stage and you think, actually, the ticket price isn't that much because mm. you think everyone has to get paid, right? And there you go. Um, my wife 
uh, works in the musical industry, so I know it very, very well, those numbers, and it's a tough gig. So you think o- the tickets o- are only, expensive? Only the mega successful yeah. do some money, and a lot loses it. It's, yeah, uh, must it's tough. So then, um, so do you have that yourself? Do you have this idea that I'm not going to do this forever? Or do you still feel like I've, you're still kind of passionate and you're still kind of... I'm super passionate. And, uh, and actually, when I did Tapas Revolution, I was at that point in where I thought, should I try to get my own Michelin star and have my yeah. Omar Ali boy restaurant with the name above my door and all of that? And I took the decision of go traditional and comfort and do the things that Mm -hmm. we've done in Spain all our life Mm -hmm. and uh, so I made that decision a long time ago and now I'm happy to revisiting redeveloping croquetas or paella you know that I've cooked a thousand times but I'm I keep trying to make it better every oh, time. But it's, it's, food, but it's food for the it's food for the people. Completely. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's kind of like I, I love food and I love restaurants, but you know I haven't eaten at the Fat Duck. I could get a t- I could get a seat at the Hindhead, but I've never. I, I, I will obviously never go to El Bully. Mm. And there's just sort of like these places of legend. And one of my favourite uh, TV shows is uh, Chef's Table on Netflix. Fantastic! It's amazing. Yeah. It's such a beautiful show. Hypnotizing, um, isn't it? It's, 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 <laughs> yeah, but, like, but it is hypnotizing because just the way they film it and the soundtrack that they use and the quality of the show is so incredible and motivational. I think no matter which industry you come, when you see such a driven chefs creating mm-hmm. and then they've put in most cases they are tougher stories yeah. in there don't you feel motivated and yeah you think, wow that's absolutely and we should all be <laughs> also my favorite episode of almost any tv show ever made is the ramen episode of chef's table and I, sometimes when i'm you know not feel you know feeling a bit down i think i'll watch that ramen episode <laughs> <laughs> um, it's yeah it's such an amazing thing why am i talking about that uh, because <laughs> because um, there's an exclusivity, isn't there? When uh, you know, um, being a chef is about uh, is perceived to be about getting that Michelin star and getting that kind of like posh restaurant and uh, getting that exclusivity. And in actual fact, you're bringing stuff to kind of like shopping centres for like the general public, and you're bringing your food to the masses. And in a way, that's just as uh, uh, just as important, or even perhaps more important than it is to do something that's completely exclusive that's 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 not for everyone to to, to out me of people's price range as well completely and to me that was exactly the reason why i did it i said is, is this is there a longevity in doing those michelin star and will i continue to be passionate about it or should i just try it and then if i don't like it just give and, and i took the decision that probably i've done enough of it for now and then let's try to apply all of those fundamentals of making great food to the food that people want to eat. So even today, everything we do in the restaurants is fresh. And it's just about, just again, food is endless. You know, mm-hmm. and you change an ingredient and everything changes and so on. And for me, it's about giving the best quality you can at the, at the best price you can give it. And that's when success comes. And I, uh, and I now find a real interest on that. Mm. That's where, you know, looking at the money, just can we do it 550 instead of 575? Because that's, that's the highest street world. But that's yeah. the world I'm in. And it was not one that I chose at the beginning of my career. I had no experience it, whatsoever. And it now, chose you. Yeah. 
in a way. And maybe if you'd carried on and gone for the Michelin star, you might be in the same position where you'd be now a bit like, oh, maybe I'll kind of jack it but in and not, see something else. But so. that's not something that you that you can't do. That's not something that you can't come back to. Yeah, yeah, of like, course. Do you know what I mean? But you've decided to do something that's kind of like mainstream. I think that's 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 really great. Hmm. And, uh, you know, every now and then when I feel very uh, that I really want to cook something uh, delicious and delicate and fine and so on, I do some pop-ups or I uh, just do it at home or, you know, there is other ways as well of, of going back to those memories that are of, of very, very exquisite and refined and very labor intensive that doesn't require me mm. to be in a restaurant for 16 hours a day. No. But that's <laughs> it, isn't it? Because actually everyone probably wants everything, right? <laughs> it doesn't mean you can't eat at your restaurant one night and then go to a Michelin star the next. It does for me because I can't afford it. <laughs> but like, I mean, but like it's, it's all that, right? It's, it's everything. So yeah. you can have like, you've still got it all in the public. You've still got that option. Completely. You can eat wherever. That's and like you were saying about you're not in competition. You are like other high street restaurants even or other things in Westfield are doing a completely different type of cuisine. So you're not really in competition with them either. No, no. And I think, I mean, my satisfaction comes from what we do and being in touch with the customers. I'm more in touch with the customers that I've ever been in the kitchen on <laughs> closed doors, you know? So, so uh, and, and the reality is that we all know comfort food is what we all want, and that's what, what you know, makes where, me happy now. Where's the nearest tapas revolution to where we are now? Uh, Westfield Stratford or Westfield London? Yeah, Westfield Stratford, yeah. Okay. Why are we going there after? <laughs> I've, I've, I've got a meeting after this, but I am, um, yeah, I'm, I live around the corner. Oh, so, so that, 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 that would be, yeah, I don't have a much London presence, yeah. east, uh, east and west. But luckily for us, you've brought lots of dishes in, haven't you? No. Oh. Why? Oh. Okay. No, that's right. All right. Nobody said anything. No, 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 it's fine. <laughs> that's, uh, that's a shame you've let yourself down uh, you have to come and experience it I'm, I'm not a takeaway brand of course, <laughs> what's, of course. what's uh, when you're not uh, when you're not at Tapas Revolution what's your favourite food um ooh, maybe Indian Indian so if Indi you were going to have an Indian uh, what would you order I always order the same things butter chicken a biryani, that that I changed. Mm -hmm. it. it could be chicken, could be veg, could be prawns, mm -hmm. and uh, some naan, and then another curry, the one with the spinach. What's the name? Uh, Sagalu. Sagalu. I really like it, uh, and some samosas to start. So I mean, so how, how basic can that get? Well, but, yeah, it's getting. No, but that's fine. But if yeah. you were on your own and you ordered all of that stuff, you'd just be putting everything in the fridge, right? Completely. So that's what I'm talking about. I live on my own. <laughs> <laughs> and I'd say, I'd say if you were going to have an Indian, you wouldn't just want butter, chicken and rice. You would want all of the bits and the mm. sides. And like, my favourite is bindi bhaji. Oh, okra. <laughs> and so what you're also what you're talking about is not you're talking about a regular kind of Indian takeaway food, right? So yeah. you're not um, no, no. But I do cook some good okay. Indian food at, at home. I That's have fine. To and you're not thinking of like an Indian restaurant, like a high end Indian restaurant, or no, 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 no. no. no, no, no it's no. just talking about what he would order. If That's what I want. Yeah. So if you went to Pizza Express, what would you order in Pizza Express? Uh, I'll I'll have something that has some spicy sausage. So uh, I don't know the me their menu, but uh, I don't go there often. Mm. But uh, I'm more into pizza pilgrims or Franco Manca. All oh, right, okay. Yeah. What they, would they, you What would you order if you went in there? The one with um, they use chorizo. 
Right. I know it's not very Italian, but uh, it works wonders. No, it's just that, yeah. So if you went to Nando's, what would you order in Nando's? I don't go to Nando's very often, but I'll do the quarter chicken with chips and, and corn. How hot? I, I bring my own sauces, but I will oh. order it mild. Um, I'll order it mild, and then I'll bring my sauces on the side. Okay. I'm, I'm a cautious guy. I like that you've got your own sauces, have you? Yeah, no, the Piri Piri one. No, not from home. You know, the, the oh, ones okay. they are always on the side. In oh, Nando's. okay, okay, okay. <laughs> All right, no, no, I was thinking uh, that. You uh, had your own kind uh, of... Uh, uh, then sort of oh, I right, pour yeah, it over so the chips. I thought you meant from home yeah. as well. No, <laughs> I was just thinking, oh, you get Nando's and then... You, <laughs> <laughs> I've got my own sauces, so, don't worry about it. Sneakily pick it out of my pocket. And not even in a bottle, just sauce in your pockets. <laughs> <laughs> like so if you, uh, hmm, okay. So if you went to KFC, yeah, uh, what would you order at KFC? I uh, do the. Is, is it a six portion? Is you know they have this mix that it comes again with chips and uh, and what a like a th- three piece? Three piece, yeah. Three piece, yeah. The three piece. But uh, I've just came from South Korea. Have you tried South Korean fried chicken? Oh, Korean fried chicken. There's yes. one in Bloomsbury. Uh, I can't remember what it's called. Um, it's right next to the Bloomsbury Bowl. Okay. And oh my fucking god, it is the, the fuck. Oh my. No, no. Don't, Korean don't, fried don't. chicken is the absolute. And what I love about it is they serve it with. Um, it's like ta- it's like fast food, but they do it. Um, it's, it's like fast food containers and everything like that. But they do it with rice. And I love rice. I'm a rice man. I prefer yeah. rice to chips. But the, so, so, and the, so you can either have wings or legs. And you go in and you can get like six legs and some uh, and, and a box of rice. And it comes with the coating is because it's, it's so crispy, isn't it? So, so I, I, you know, there was plenty of it. <laughs> and uh, yeah, yeah. It, it was absolutely delicious. And I got to get into a kitchen to see what they were doing to it. And it wasn't something any, no complicated, a mix of spices that you, they just toss the chicken and then they put uh, the flour and they shake it and shake it. So the crumble, it becomes like a Kentucky fried chicken as a result, mm-hmm. but a lot crispier. So why is, how is it, it's because I imagine that KFC is more of a batter. Yeah. Is it? Well, it comes already done probably from a factory, so they never egg wash it and then put any breadcrumbs to it in yeah, there. Yeah, they probably but just put it, it in the fryer, right? But it has to be a similar basis because the coating shape, you know those in and outs that go into mm. the crust? They, they, they look very similar. Well, it's famously, the, it's, it's, the the kernels, it's the Colonel's secret recipe. Oh. So we, I, we don't know what it is. I've <laughs> been gigging up and down the country and... Um, and sort of like you sometimes crave, or it's like you know you're going through the services and you go, well, not this one, it's Burger King. And go, well, we'll drive another sixty miles because there's a KFC coming up. <laughs> you know, and so you kind of like, but the, um, but KFC is always better in your mind than when you actually sat down yes. eating it. Yeah. And then when you're eating it, you feel pretty grubby. Yeah. But Korean fried chicken is basically the same consistency of the spicy hot wings. Mm. So it's that sort of like crunch to it. I had some Korean fried chicken before Christmas and I wasn't sure. I'd never really had it before and I don't know if it was particularly good because to me it felt like it was so, it'd been fried so much that the bone was kind of brittle and I felt like that wasn't right. No, you need to give it another chance. Because that that wasn't right. I'm telling you, if you like chicken, it's at the top of the chicken chain. I'll take you to the one in Bloomsbury. So so they have this Korean fried chicken as a base and then they do kind of, there's a spicy one and there's something else, but there's another one with licorice. And 
Oh my! It doesn't taste like licorice, but there is sort of like this sweetness. To oh, it's just like it's I think Muscovado sugar does that trick. Maybe they have some. I just don't know what they put into because it. I just it's it uh, from the window. Are you like uh, this whenever so you go crunchy. to a restaurant? Are you like show me the kitchen? Oh, um, I I love sneaking in or just looking and paying attention and finding. Mm. And out do you just say? Do you just go? Do you know who I am? Can I come no, in? No, no, no. How do you get no. into the kitchens in restaurants? Well, I've done it since I was a little kid. Oh, you that, sort of sneaking? Uh, yeah, literally. I would just stand up from the table with my family, and I would just say, well, I'm going to the kitchen. And I would, as a little kid, they will just grant you a free pass into the of kitchen. Of course, when you're a kid. <laughs> but no, well, not now, right? No, no, but, uh, you know. You'd have to have a birthday party to do that at McDonald's, wouldn't you? <laughs> <laughs> you they show you the fridge. <laughs> yeah. the, no. They used to do, oh, they probably still do. I just Maybe haven't gone do, to yeah, one yeah. in a long time. They used to have McDonald's birthday parties. And if it was your birthday, you could pick one friend or two friends. And they would take you into the kitchen and show you the horror <laughs> show of how they make the shit that you're better doing. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess take you into the fridge and they say, "Look at how big the fridge is," and you'd be like, "Yeah, it's very big." Oh, I was never, I never personally had a birthday party at McDonald's, and I was never close enough to the birthday boy or girl <laughs> to be invited into the fridge. <laughs> so I don't really know what a McDonald's kitchen's like. But I imagine you do. Tell us <laughs> what's a McDonald's kitchen? No, I haven't. But what I what I have to confess is that in Spain. It's a huge tradition to go as a kid to a McDonald's birthday party. Of course, yeah. But yeah. They, they never invite you into the kitchen. So By the way, you said it's a huge UK. tradition. It's gone back hundreds of years. No, no. But <laughs> I, I, as a kid, I'm not kidding, I've probably been in 30 kids McDonald's uh, uh, birthday parties. I remember. So, so that's quite a lot. Oh, yeah. I remember I really impressed a girl at a uh, McDonald's birthday party. Uh, we were sat on uh, the McDonald's train. Uh, <laughs> where it's sort of like it's a train with Ronald, and then you have uh, you, it's, it's a stationary train, uh, and uh, you have like uh, tables for four, four mm-hmm. little kids. And you sat there, and I remember I had a chocolate milkshake, and I got a French fry, and I put the French fry in the straw. I sucked it, sucked it up, and I went, hmm, chocolate chip. <laughs> and she was fucking impressed. So it was such a good joke that five years later, I'm telling you about it. I can still remember it. I can still remember it. Oh, so you were an adult when that happened. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's the best part of the story. Uh, no, no, that was another great joke. Uh, I was eight. So <laughs> it would be illegal for me. To, I wouldn't have been able to fit on the train either. I'm too, I'm too big now. Um, well, we, we'll play your song. You've, you've, you've collected. You've, you've, you've suggested a song, but we'll play your song on the way out now okay. because we've missed our window to play it because <laughs> we've been talking too much. So you are a fan of. So Omar Alaboy, you are a fan of food. We've talked about. Yep. If you could order anything right now, you would order an Indian takeaway. Now, yeah. what, would, what, what would you have? I love food so much. I love I'm food. starving now. I am really hungry. <laughs> well, it's time now. It's about yeah. time. That, uh... um, are you also addicted to massages? Yeah. yeah. So, okay. To, to proper massages. Yeah, I'm, right. I'm picking. I'm picking. Yeah. Sure. No, okay. no, no, what no. counts as a proper one? A, 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 a very uh, highly skilled person. To do it, okay, sure, but don't miss, don't misrepresent it. <laughs> <laughs> no, so so I, because of my years in the kitchen, 
uh, we suffer a lot from back pains. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and as a result, my back is my biggest enemy. I don't sleep well, my neck hurts and so on. And now since I have kids, it's even worse. And, um, and then I, I need to go quite frequently to, mm-hmm. to uh, but I'm always in search of the best massage around. And it can be any time, any neighborhood. So if you can tell me a so recommendation here. <laughs> so do you, do you go for like, like rela- relaxing massages or do you go for sort of like a sports massage? Deep tissue massage. I am um, normally what what massage therapist says that I've never did anyone with such a strength and that didn't complain about it. Mm-hmm. So that that explains the, the, so the pretty no picture that I have in my back. <laughs> So it's it's someone who's uh, who's causing damage. Is, yes. is the best kind of uh, correct. The okay. ones which step over your back and well, so on. The next day you feel like you've been hit by a bus and, you, should, and you can barely move. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, yeah. no pleasure. Having said that, it gives me great pleasure and great relief when when I know they are doing everything they can to hurt me. Yeah, I went to so a couple of, a few years ago. I went to Disneyland in September, mm. where at Disneyland. Paris in September. There weren't any queues for Space Mountain because hmm. the, the kids were back at school. Hmm. Um, so, so I was gutted at first. So there was queues for Space Mountain. There weren't any queues for Space Mountain. So you, I went on it like like the eleven loops, yeah. eleven times <laughs> in a row. You'd get off and then you'd go run around and you'd go back on it. And you know, uh, and then like a month later, I got severe whiplash and uh, my whole body sort of like. I, oh, is that what caused it? Yeah, I, I, do you remember? Yeah, I remember you having the whiplash. So I, I, so I curled. I was watching Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and I was fine at the start of it. And by the end of it, I was like an overcooked prawn, <laughs> or like so Robert De Niro so in The Irishman. <laughs> I was sort of like, I'd sort of like, and it, and I basically was fucked for about, oh, I'd say at least a year. And I'd have to go for these deep tissue massages. And you'd go in. And, like, I was literally hobbling my way there. And then he would just fucking pummel the fuck out of me. And then uh, I could sort of, like, walk out. And then uh, slowly it would all come back again. But yeah. he would have to sort of, like, really, like, knead me, like, dough to, to actually get me back into some sort of able-bodied shape. And then it would sort of, like, just all come back. It was horrible. Uh. But I did take a lot of tramadol. Mm-hmm. So every cloud, <laughs> um, that was a benefit. <laughs> but it was uh, it was uh, it gives you a whole new appreciation for Nicolas Cage films. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, so that was that was, the, and also this week this week I've started going to the gym again, and uh, I did a lot of work on my legs, but to the point where I couldn't. I, you know, I drop stuff on the floor in my kitchen, and I'd be honest. like, "Well, it lives there now." It's still there, <laughs> right? Because right? <laughs> I couldn't actually physically bend down to pick it up because my legs hurt so much. Um, how good that feel, though! It's great. It's uh, so that sense of achievement. Yeah, it's great. It's really great. I, but I just always remember coming out of the massages and feeling like it absolutely. Um, uh, but, but they're not like it's not like oils and stuff like that. It's literally just someone getting their fingers and just like digging you right in your right in your ribs and kind of like uh, getting your, uh, getting your hip muscles moving again. But like just just pulling you apart and then putting you back together again, really. And it's just yeah. And you leave and you feel absolutely devastated. No, my biggest disappointment was when I when I uh, I went to the chiropractor. Mm. You know, I was expecting you know, somebody to crack me into really and they just 
with a hammer or they just crack a little mm-hmm. thing. I said, yeah, that's it. That's your 60 pounds. And you say, where is the massage? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Why haven't you hurt me? Yeah, correct. Well, I want to feel the pain. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. You may feel emotional after. Really? <laughs> yeah, seriously. Yeah, you're furious. You've lost 60 pounds. <laughs> uh, is this Greg's photo from... Oh yeah, the last yes, Jedi. Yes, it's very yes. faint, Greg. It's faint. But Greg, I'm sorry we disagree about the Last Jedi, but um, I just hated it. I don't know how old you are. I can't. I can't ask you your age. But I'm almost forty, <laughs> and I've grown up with Star Wars my entire life, and I hated it so much it made me dislike Star Wars. So you know, that's my opinion. <laughs> Have you seen the Last Jedi? No, I haven't. I was working, actually, in Blue Water Shopping Centre and they played um, the three movies in a row and they sold oh, yeah. tickets to, for people to go and see the last, pre- the last three before they released it at 12 o'clock. Mm-hmm. Wow, it was incredible. People with, uh, you know, wearing masks and it is a theme, it's a big thing, um, Star Wars. Yeah, well, it was a big thing. <laughs> and then... Um, you told the end of the story now, or well, <laughs> we've, we've seen the end now. That's the end. <laughs> um, and you, oh, well, we've got to play the game, really, haven't we? All right, okay, cool. You're, you're also a fan of uh, painting, nature, and travelling. Where's the best place you've ever been to? Uh, 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 Bali. Bali. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Good food. Good massages. Fantastic landscapes. I feel we've got to know you very well, actually. Mm. We've got, we, we know your likes and dislikes. Yeah. And oh, I, I didn't know. I was not prepared for this. So. No, that's all right. But um, no, this is great. You've absolutely, been, you've absolutely nailed, nailed it. it. Absolutely <laughs> nailed it. This is exactly what we want. You've this nailed is. it. We've nailed it. We've <laughs> absolutely, you know, it's, it's the first one back in, uh, in like, four weeks, and, uh, yeah, it feels good. It real good to be feels back. feels like we've never been away. feels like we've never been away, and I will never go away again. Right, so what is the name of your... Uh, here it is. Right, so time for the game, Nat. Explain the rules. Okay, this game is called Better or Worse, and you have to say whether the next person is better or worse than the previous person based entirely on my own opinion. Entirely okay. on Nathaniel Metcalf's Just opinions. my opinion. Ah, all right. Okay. So starting with Chillian Murphy. Cillian Murphy. You know the man? Killian no. Murphy. Killian Murphy. Okay. Okay, he's a guy on Peaky Blinders. All right. Do you know right. that show? The main guy yes. in that? He was the scarecrow in Batman Begins. Okay. Okay. Is Eddie Murphy better or worse than Killian Murphy? Better. 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 He is better. Is Eddie Redmayne better or worse than Eddie Murphy? Worse. 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 Is Eddie Izzard better or worse than Eddie Redmayne? Better. Worse. Better. All right. Is Scarlett Johansson better or worse than Eddie Izzard? Better. Better. I'm going to say better. One of my favourites. Clint Eastwood better or worse than Scarlett Johansson? Better. 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 Vivian Westwood better or worse than Clint Eastwood? Worse. Worse. Yeah, worse. Meryl Streep better or worse than Vivian Westwood? Better. Better. Macaulay Culkin, better or worse than Meryl Streep? Worse. Worse. To be fair, worse. Phoebe Waller-Bridge, better or worse than Macaulay Culkin? Oh. Mm. Mm. That's a a difficult one. Worse? 
I mean, he did well when he was young. He did so well when he was young, that. and he's he, having a great comeback. Yeah. He's doing really well. At the is he moment. coming is back? He's great. Oh, yeah. I missed that. One. I'm going to say she's better. I'm going to say she's better. Yeah, she's oh. better. Jeff Bridges, better or worse? Hang on, what did you say for Macaulay Culkin? That that I said. Uh, Phoebe Waller Bridges, better or worse? Uh, worse. Worse. Okay, I think she's probably better. Mm. Jeff Bridges, better or worse than Phoebe Waller Bridge? Better. 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 What's the score? Eight. Oh, That's well, a great yeah. score. Five, six, seven, eight. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. I got nine. So I do play along every week. I, 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 I absolutely smashed that. Given that I didn't know no. of the names. Of course. <laughs> well, <laughs> it just made it well, And also, it's an entirely made-up game. It doesn't make any. I've pressed a button. Right, so uh, what did you score? Eight. So you you scored eight, so you're in good company. You're there with Paul Gannon, Nick Desemlian, Naomi McDonald and Dan Schreiber with eight, but you're not quite as good with Tom Crowley, Reese James and Marshall Julius with nine, but you are better than Kevin Allison, Joe DaCosta, Alastair Green, Lloyd Griffith, Max Halley, uh, Harriet Kemsley, Morgan McGlynn, Juliet Steer, The Last Skeptic, David Trent, Toby Williams with seven, Bronte Barbe, Will Jackson, Ginger Johnson with six, and Original Flavor with five. Good. So, yeah. Are we, no are we coming up to our second year? Maybe. Yes, we must be. So we've done quite a few there, but we've done less than we normally would because we had Edinburgh off. Right, okay, cool. Um, Look, uh, thank you so much for coming in. Everyone go along to Tapas Revolution, wherever you are. So it's all over the country, so you can probably find one near you. Near you, absolutely. Me and Nick are going to go. Natalie, you up for this? And, and actually, uh, something really fun. Uh, we are, uh, we've just done this. Lottery is a big thing in Spain. Mm-hmm. If you join our database, you'll get a code. And if you come to our restaurant, you'll get a discount when you show that code. What you don't know is what the discount is. It may be 100%, it may be 20%. Oh, that's but nice. you have a chance of eating for free in our restaurants. For, for a the, second there, I thought you said a month. coat. I went, that's good value. <laughs> so I don't get a coat. So I thought it was good fun. Good fun. <laughs> oh, that good is fun good. Game in the worst month of the year. So it's a, a way of attracting <laughs> customers. Come in. Uh, and that. the name of that Korean restaurant in uh, Bloomsbury is Wing Wing Crispy Chicken. Ooh. But crispy with a K. I need to try it. It's, it's fucking... It's good. It's, no, oh, that it, well is uh, amazing. You you should try oh, it again. I'm, I'm sorry it disappointed you the first time. No, but let's... let's uh, I didn't oh, go but, to Wing Wing. Hey, do you know what? We can go bowling. Let's go bowling. Let's go bowling. Oh, Marjorie, want to come bowling? Yeah, I would love to. Okay. I haven't bowled for a while. Okay, we're all just, especially with your back, I, I imagine. I signed. <laughs> no, okay. no, but... Um, right, so what's but your favourite? Tapas we're, Revolution. We're gonna, go to Tapas Revolution. We're going to play your song, uh, Hypersonic Missiles by Sam Fender. Is that right? Yeah. Is that correct? All right, Love okay. It. Thanks for coming Thank in. Thank you for coming Lovely in. Lovely to meet you. Uh, great to meet welcome you. Welcome to the club. Well, that's what we should say at the end of it. Yes, that's work in progress, work in progress. Loons in the parking lot, the golden arches illuminate the business park. You've been listening to a Fubar Radio podcast. For more information, go to fubarradio.com.